Hey, man. Hello, hello. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you loud and good. clear. I can hear you. I can hear you as well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. How are you? Sure, I'm good. Yeah, still uh, somewhat waking up, but yeah, it's it's six a.m. there. It's early. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I, I woke up at uh, three thirty. So, oh wow, is is that normal for you, or or is that uh, unusual? Uh, not not that early usually, uh -huh. but I mean, ever since we we had our kid, for a long time it was five a.m. Now it's been uh, now it's been shifting a bit a bit later, just desperately uh, trying to catch up on some of that some of that sleep. But uh, sure. yeah. Wow. What about you? When do you? I usually... normally get up around six, six thirty, maybe. So not not super early. I mean, I guess it's slightly on the early side, but not crazy. I'd say um, that's pretty early, certainly. Like, um, yeah, uh, for for a creative person, right? Because because it, it's usually the case that a creative might go to bed at six thirty. So yeah, yeah. When I have a, a certain project, sometimes I have to just kind of throw all the rules out the window but um but i find yeah. that my and we can i don't know if this is be, being recorded or if we are, are already on on or we can hold some yeah it's, it's being recorded but you know if you okay. want we can cut stuff out as well no, so. that's that's <laughs> but yeah i find that my brain i mean everybody's brain works differently but my brain works better in the morning so after i have a cup of coffee and you know do a, some light exercise or something i get down to work and those first maybe three or four hours after i start sort of in between starting working and lunchtime are usually my best hours usually yeah yeah i've definitely uh i've done it both ways mm -hmm. and there are you know perks and pitfalls well not maybe pitfalls but perks to to both um, but definitely the, one of the biggest things I've, I've noticed and realized is that when you wake up, your mind is at its sort of cleanest state, mm -hmm. like a clean slate. And it's mm -hmm. uninterrupted by, you know, the, the stress and the chores of the day. So you really have this most open view of mm -hmm. things, which obviously for creative purposes can be fantastic. But then maybe on the on the back end, you know, if you do stuff deep into the night, you get that kind of a unique. I don't know if delirious is is the word that I'm looking for. Maybe not, yeah. but some kind of a you know weird mix of chemicals, and you you're sort of going to sleep, but then you're activating yourself, and it's a weird mix of things. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I've experienced that, and you know, for collaboration. You know, when I've ever worked in a in a band or in you know in a recording studio or something like that, I do find that the late hours sometimes I don't know something about humans together at that time you can you can really touch on some special stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, maybe that that goes back to some of the you know if you if if you take the evolutionary perspective, you know the the campfire thing. Mm -hmm. You know after after Absolutely. the day is is done and then people sit around a fire and socialize etc maybe there's yeah some of that yeah, they, let, they let their guard down they they allow themselves to be a little more human and vulnerable and just honest with each other in a way yeah, yeah. i think there's something yeah. to that
-hmm. you said um you said you do some light exercise in in the morning what, what yeah you, I mean, like cardio I should, or yeah i should be doing more it's mostly just like um push-ups and you know uh sometimes i'll go for a walk so uh, you know sometimes i'll do some jump rope or something like that but you know just light stuff around around the house nothing uh i should be doing more i, I know that it's true uh, no but that's that's already uh mm -hmm. um like it's really good from a activation point of view i think there's mm -hmm. a lot of research uh surfacing up now showing the the benefits of just moving uh, yeah. after you've woken up and reaping the the benefits of that but yeah. but also if you're doing some push-ups that's also some uh, some strength work right. as well yeah but even just stretching i find just i do sort of long deep stretches i find that that helps a lot uh you know even something as simple as that um yeah yeah cool mm -hmm. well before we uh, dive any deeper because uh this tends to be or has been a, an issue of mine <laughs> we've been talking for uh more than a, maybe uh, half an hour and, and i haven't even uh introduced the guest so sure. um so obviously well people see your name on on this episode but to those uh, who are watching or listening who don't know who you are uh briefly uh summarizing that so you're a, a composer for games video games and other media uh some of your credits uh on the video game front include outreach and also marvel versus capcom infinite mm -hmm. then you've done a bunch of uh tv and show stuff as well some um mentionable credits snl nbc's olympic uh, broadcast and then law and order criminal intent uh, and you also run i mean you obviously do much of this work under the the silent audio company uh name but um yeah basically silent audio is is a full service audio house and you do music you do sound design and audio programming and also now you release uh, virtual instruments as well so um right. is there anything anything you want to add to that or just uh that no no i think that's um i think that's pretty accurate summary you know i've been um I've been in sort of whatever the space is, the audio space, the music space for quite a long time. And uh, I don't know, I, I guess I get, I, I just get interested in different types of projects, different things, and I'll just sort of jump into a lot variety of disciplines. So uh, it's what keeps my brain sort of going in a way, but yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think mm -hmm. that's, um... To me, that tends to be a, uh, the mark of a, of a creative. You know, you need something new. You need like a new stimulus, and oftentimes it's like a creative death sentence to us to do the same thing every single day until the end of days for us, at least. So that makes uh, complete sense. Uh, before I forget this, I mean, Silent Audio has a really interesting name. Like mm -hmm. I said. So I, I did a demo on on your uh, on your Infinite Flow synth, and um, back then I said that the T is silent, which is kind of like like a cyclical. I, I don't know what to call that, but anyway, does does silent? Um, so that's silent without the T. Uh, uh -huh. Does that does that mean something? And where did that come from? Yeah. So 
you know, when you think about music or really any sort of creative audio, it's silence is sort of the the opposite. You know, it's it's the it's what some people are trying to avoid in a way. It's it's what they're fighting against in a weird way. And um I almost think of it as sort of like a yin yang or something like that. You need to have a certain amount of silence or you need to have a sort of a certain amount of respect for what silence is um in order to make effective music essentially so even you know rhythm is just a a way of playing with bits of silence in between sort of punctuated uh you know elements of sound um so that's a concept that i've been thinking about for years and and there's something almost sort of spooky and dangerous about silence when you're a musician or working in audio so i kind of liked that it was sort of spooky in a, in a weird way um when it comes to audio and you know just sort of the dichotomy of silent audio sort of opposites in a in a way um yeah so all wrapped up into this all wrapped up into one. and what happened with the t uh so we went through a lot of different variations of names we were i, I went by silence for a little while and um I just kind of liked it. I when when I when I removed the T, it it started to take on its own sort of special uh, thing that I hadn't heard or, or or seen before. So I don't know. I it, I played with the word silent and silence for a little while, and then eventually sort of landed on silent as the final name. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of. Um... I don't know what it is. Some, some, maybe some character or something from a series, like maybe it's like a Sith Lord or something. I, I don't know what I'm thinking, but there's yeah. definitely something that it's, um, you know, evoking uh, in me. But uh, if we uh, go go way back to to the beginning, where were you born? So I was born in Maryland, uh, so sort of near DC, so on the east coast of the U.S. And um, I spent the first, you know, about 18 years of my life there. And then I came out to the West Coast. And I've been, I also lived in New York and Brooklyn for about five years. But I've more or less been in L.A. most of my adult life, except for the time I was in Brooklyn for a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I've kind of back and forth on either side of the U.S. most of my life. Yeah. Yeah. And was um, what was your like musically speaking your your upbringing? Was music sort of uh, around the house, or was it uh, what kind of a path did you go with that? Yeah, I mean, I in a way I've sort of realized later how sort of much music was in in my household, and I sort of I, I appreciate it now more than I did when I was younger. Um, my dad was sort of a or uh, is a, a, a jazz musician, um, you know, sort of amateur for fun, but he would more or less always, he would put on a record or, or put on the radio and just be playing along with it. And he would play a bunch of different, you know, fingered, so flute or saxophone or clarinet. And so he'd be playing those. And, you know, we, we found these videos when I was a baby and he was just, I was just sort of, banging on a little drum and he was just sort of playing, not really paying attention, but I think it was, it was fun. And then, um, 
I just always was drawn to music, even from, you know, the moment I had any allowance or anything like that, I was buying cassettes and CDs and just, just kind of very, way more than anyone around. I It was normal to me because I was just obsessed with it, but way more than anyone around me. I was just buying, just getting anything I could get my hands on um, musically, pretty much. And did you um, did you play an instrument, and and what age did that come in? So I started piano lessons. Um, I was probably about seven or eight, I would guess. I don't really remember, and um, I hated them. I mean, I still don't like. I'm practicing w whatever the type of musician is that can sit in a room and just keep playing the same part over and over. I I have the utmost respect for them because that's just not really how my brain works um I, and so you know i played and then i when i was old enough to play sports or something i said i'm done playing piano lessons or but really I, it was only about a couple of years and then i started to play guitar and bass guitar and then i went back to the piano sort of in mid high school i went back to it um because and then then that was on my own terms it wasn't sort of being forced upon me um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I definitely did have a, um, you know, a d music was around and then also a r early high school, I started to get into electronic music and this is before, I mean, obviously, you know, pro tools existed, computer based music existed, but most people didn't really make music that way. So my first ever uh i basically for almost a year i was saving and asking and then finally i got what's called an akai mpc 2000 xl so it's a sampler workstation and i was sampling records and assembling them and stuff like that so that was really when i began making music myself um yeah and this was what age were you at that time i was maybe 15 14 15 around that era, age yeah and did you did you play in bands you mentioned some stringed yeah i played bass in some bands um you know i've played it's uh, mostly bass i'm i'm passable at guitar and barely can fake my way through drums but um and sometimes on certain songs we'd switch switch out a little bit but mostly i played bass and um i never loved it i don't i'm not driven by live music or I, i'm not driven by like being in front of a crowd and um hearing cheers and stuff like that and again the musicians who do that i have the utmost respect for them because it can be both really rewarding but also a really tough um job but uh yeah for whatever reason i've always been more comfortable just sort of working on my working on my song in, a, in, in a, a dark studio somewhere dark studio. yeah, yeah. What about the the collaborative aspect of the of the band stuff? Did you enjoy? Did you write music with uh, the the other members or or not? And and did you enjoy the process of the the co uh, collaboration? When most of the time, no, and it's because usually just for whatever reason you can't you're not really clicking with the other person. I've had few people out there in the world that that i have been able to musically 
vibe with and likewise and when that happens you can really create some really exciting stuff so it's rare and you have to sort of hold on to it when it happens and cherish it in a way so yeah it, it definitely has happened a few times and um some bands most of it this is stuff that never got released or if it got released it was drastically different than when we originally wrote it but um but yes i i have had some pretty from a band perspective i've had a pretty nice collaborative experiences um for sure yeah but it sounds like when you when you got that mpc you sort of inched closer in uh, towards something that was your thing yeah that's right i've always liked electronic music i've always liked hip-hop and i've always liked sort of this space sort of in between sort of in between and combining all that kind of stuff um and something about just being able to iterate and work on the same song over and over again and make mistakes but then fix it and just keep testing it until you get it right that's just how i've always worked and i still work that way um yeah what sort of um in terms of you mentioned electronic music did you have back then what kind of uh stuff inspired you what stuff did you listen uh that's a good so I, I listened to drum and bass and jungle a fair bit um because i did and still love the way they chop drums you know the amen break is the famous one of that but i just i kind of the endless ways that you can take one little sample and make an entire genre of music out of it I, i'll never get sick of that um i listened to stuff like aphex twin and dj shadow dj shadow really operates in that world sort of near hip-hop but also kind of experimental electronic as so that kind of stuff i definitely listen to a lot and then just a lot of hip-hop i guess there's a you know really great producers that i think people don't pay attention to actually you know now more than ever it's it's interesting the people that i used to love when i was a kid are now you know 20 years later finally people writing books about them and i go to a, a bar or a party and people will put on someone like jay dilla you know people write books about and you you hear his music out and about and when i was young it was like i was a weirdo for obsessing over some of this stuff but um yeah yeah well i, I think that's a a good example of um just staying true to what you like and enjoy and not mm -hmm. you know focus on the popularity or or yeah those kind of aspects for sure yeah, yeah um and what were you sort of uh what were you like as a kid and i usually ask this from the perspective of how music relates to that because for a lot of people it can be a sort of a, a an escape or, or or something that you know if you're very introverted or if you're not you know if you don't have a, a ton of friends and find it difficult to relate to that kind of surrounding usually music can be one of the answers of of how you you know cope and and you know maybe escape the um the real world so what was that like for you i think it was and maybe even still is an, a very important sort of coping mechanism or escape for me music whether i'm listening or making it they're almost equally important for me 
and um you know life i mean when you're a kid stuff's tough but even you know you're you, you never get out of this feeling of like the world is weird and confusing and uh definitely i wanted there were times where i wanted to take a break from it or times that i just wanted to sort of shut shut the noise off in your brain a little bit and um music has always sort of been there as a as you know as a tool but also as just sort of a fascination um you know it's it's the only thing you you can tell i i i sort of i have my brain is the type that i hop between interest and stuff like that but um music is the one thing that literally i've never gotten bored of i i never like there's always some people doing exciting stuff that truly excites me and uh uh you know i love the change of music i love new genres when they emerge i love paying attention to new techniques it just it's it's the never ending sort of um you know it's like you, you you'll never learn it all and and that's really exciting to me um yeah so when i was a kid i definitely had a lot i would listen either with headphones or sometimes i could play it on a cd player boombox and i would just listen to music for hours and hours and um most of the time trying to do my homework but not really doing my homework just listening and then um you know it's just it was an escape for sure yeah i think uh, now that i think about it, it you mentioned the uh you know hopping from one thing to another i think uh mm -hmm. i mean I'm, I'm sure there are many many examples of how that can be turned into a positive but certainly in creativity and certainly in music that can absolutely be harnessed because there are there are many aspects in life where people uh, where, where that can turn into a uh, a hindrance and and it will actually negatively impact your life but mm -hmm. with music you can sort of you know do this one thing take what you learn take it to another and just keep looping around with that and mm -hmm. and actually grow in the the sort of the macro of getting better at music mm -hmm. um so I, I think that's probably a pretty important point to um, take away, and not not in the sense that you're trying to. Uh, yeah, how do you how how would you say it? Uh, turn a like force a negative into a positive, but but there's actually um, actually a, a lot of utility uh, in, in realizing that because I think a lot of people are hopping from one thing to another and they're being called uh you know a loser or someone who gives up and someone someone who never you know sees it through not to say that that's not necessarily an issue but mm -hmm. you know understanding that if you are a creative you're seeking out you know new stimulus and mm -hmm. you should probably be aware of that and then harness that as as a as something that maybe helps you learn and grow and then do do this music thing or whatever it is that you're doing uh better did you um so you you i know that you went to ucla film scoring <laughs> the the film scoring uh program mm -hmm. when before we sort of transition into that was it always clear to you that you wanted to do a something creative or or b music or was there was there a a clear point where you realized that you wanted to do music for 
you know, as, as your profession or was it, what kind of a process was that? So it was definitely, it was always clear that it was my primary interest. Like if you had asked me, what do you spend the most time thinking about? Or if, you know, if you had $50 disposable income, what would you spend that on? It would always be 100%. It would be something related to either a new CD or some way to make music in some new way. Um, I went to college near LA, so about an hour away from where I am. Uh, and it was not a music college. They had a few music programs. I took every type of music program that they offered, but I was majoring in more practical, more traditional college type stuff. And I was definitely overwhelmed. I think I was could feel that this was really the moment that I was trying really hard to care about the classes and they were interesting you know it's politics and stuff like that things that I still think a lot about I think we all do but I didn't I didn't have a deep passion in it and I couldn't fake it I couldn't force it I couldn't pretend to care about the the authors whose paper I was writing about in that moment so um i only went to college traditional college for two years and then and i, I probably also was going through some it, you know it's overwhelming i think just in general to be of that age and to let you be on your own and people are partying and you're probably not sleeping as much as you should and all that kind of stuff so i, I probably went to reached a point where i kind of was just mentally done and all i cared about was music and all I cared about at that moment was pretty much hip hop music, instrumental side of hip hop music at that moment. So I said, well, I'm gonna, I dropped out of college and I said, you know, I'll come back, quote unquote, I never did to that college. Um, and then I moved to New York. Um, so I was 20 years old, I couldn't even drink. And uh, I moved to New York on my own, I didn't know anybody. And uh, I was working as a janitor at a bookstore. And then um, I started to work at a, in a hip hop record label, a pretty famous one. It's called Fat Beat, or famous for that scene. It's called Fat Beats. And they also had a little record store as well. And um, that was really where I found, at least it was like all of a sudden I was in a professional world and I found people who actually cared about this type or you know nerding out in a very specific way in exactly the same way that i did so i found some really really cool people really special people while i was there and i was able to work on some cool projects too um while i was there so that was probably the moment that was a big moment because i sort of abandoned the traditional path that i think a lot of people take which works well for a lot of people but it just i could see it was not gonna i could di didn't see a positive uh, future if I was just to stay on it and then I just started from a pretty weird place um with no with no, no money and you know nothing um but yeah yeah it's um pretty uh, it can be very strange when when you have this kind of complete lack of interest with the the kind of the normal world and then you can discover a group of people who share 
the same you know perspective uh, mm -hmm. towards life than uh, as you do and it can really mm -hmm. be like a surreal experience you're like whoa wait these people exist this mm -hmm. stuff exist exists um so so you were working this this janitor job i presume that's probably daytime for you mm -hmm. and then are you doing stuff for the label in the afternoons or the nights or how did that how did so, how did you make yeah. that balance work so I, I was a janitor for about a year maybe a year and a half and in that time i started as an intern and then they got me on a part-time and then they hired me so then i was able to quit my janitor job they hired me in the warehouse so i was just shipping records all day which was hard work because there was no uh air conditioning or heater um so depending and new york gets really hot in the summertime um so and we were just carrying big heavy boxes all day um and then they also had a little record label on the same it was like the warehouse was it was all one floor but the warehouse was on one side and then they had sort of an office on the other side of the floor so i sort of found i was able to sneak my way into some of their big meetings where they talked about uh you know who they were going to sign bands that they were going to sign and whether they liked music and stuff like that and um uh and then i was able to start you know giving my t once i earned a little bit of you know at least like people could tell that i cared and i wasn't an idiot so then i was able to give my two cents a little bit um and then i was and then i started to go out and find artists and stuff like that and start to bring projects in myself um meanwhile you know and i was good i was i've always been a good employee because it's like it's easy like okay you just do this you just do this you go you know this is how it works and then you know and then i don't know you don't get fired essentially but meanwhile i was wanting really badly to have more time to be making music there was still that i was close close to, i was around people that i really liked and i was close to people who were doing really interesting creative works but it wasn't me and it wasn't me spending i had very little of my own time to be doing that so that became the the new hurdle to overcome in that in that job yeah and what was your your own musical ability at, at this stage either you know in 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 either the the music tech side or the playing of any any sorts where were you sort of standing in uh, during that time i i was a tinkerer so i could fake my way you know i spent some time in some recording studios around that time so i could run pro tools and i could set up a microphone and and i could you know loosely make it sound medium i mean i thought it was good but hindsight kind of embarrassing but i could eq a little bit and do a little bit of mixing and stuff like that so i was kind of more on the engineering side of everything and in terms of music like i could still play like sometimes i would play a little bit of piano or a little bit of synthesizer or something like that on some of the tracks that i was around um but uh uh but i wasn't very good and um and i definitely this was a major this is about we're talking about maybe 2004 ish uh 2005 ish and um there was a major revolution that was happening in technology where people could increasingly record 
in their own bedroom or whatever, you know, three, five years before that, you just literally couldn't, you couldn't record, you would need to go to a studio essentially that had Pro Tools, that had a big, you know, way to get multiple channels into Pro Tools and all that kind of stuff. So I actually held on for too long. I One of my things that I wished I had done is learned on my own some of the recording techniques that were a little more advanced. Um, and I kind of held out. I used the MPC and I used these traditional techniques for a little, for like maybe two, three years longer than I think I should have. I, um, so eventually I got comfortable really in front of a DAW and making music on in a DAW. Um, but that took longer than I, I think, than I wish it had, quite frankly. Yeah. So you were now working uh, for this label kind of close to where you want to go but not quite there so what was the next step from there how did you sort of advance from from that position so the label the head of the label um who had founded the whole company um he was setting up his own little studio he had like basically an empty office room at the end of the corner and his dream was to set up a studio so and he he was you know more successful uh, uh so he had enough money to at least get some basic equipment in there um i sort of negotiated i was ready to leave and i would i felt the new burning urge that i just didn't have enough time to make music and new york is expensive so finding room and space where neighbors aren't yelling at you for playing your you know speakers uh is tough it, it's it's hard to find um, so I was about ready to leave, and then uh, a friend of mine had just gotten a promotion, and he asked, he wanted me to take his spot. So he said that as a negotiating thing, he said basically that anytime the big boss man wasn't using the big studio, I could get a key, and then I could use it. So most nights and weekends, I was there um, for a good for about a year and a half, and that was a big period of growth because then I could bring in friends of mine who played instruments and we could record them and I could get a little more comfortable with the DAW um, and have nobody bother me, no neighbors yelling at me. So that was a really lucky position that I found myself in. Um, but still, I didn't have enough time and I wasn't really progressing the way I should. And the job was getting starting to get a little stressful as most jobs can sometimes. So that was around the time that I decided I was gonna leave New York, which was getting overwhelming and come back to LA. So that was what I did then, yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, you negotiated yourself into, into that uh, studio um, mm -hmm. job. Or I don't, I don't know what the title was, but uh, yeah. w is negotiation something that you you find yourself to be like uh, innately good at, or well, it, it, was it was it tough on you? And and if it was, yeah, why? I don't think I'm innately good at it. I think that what I am good at it is when I'm in a work type situation, I'm good at recognizing the work that needs to be done and getting it done. That's what I'm good at. And that's what I was doing there. And they needed somebody to fill a specific role. So then they were able to ask the right questions to me. 
Like, why, why don't you want this new job? You're going to get a little more money. And I was basically, I just need, I need space to make music. And they're like, well, we do have this thing opening up. Maybe we can make that work. So it, so it was almost like my friend was negotiating on my behalf because he really wanted me in that position. So, and I'm thankful. I'm, I'm thankful for him doing that. Um, but uh, no, I, I, you know, I, I can, I can't, I have negotiated decently in the past, but generally I'm more motivated by creativity and the project than other things to, to sometimes to a fault um, from, from a negotiation perspective, but yeah. Well, yeah, that, that tends to be the case with most creatives. We don't, mm -hmm. we don't really like or enjoy the, the, any of the business. Uh, aspects but uh, I mean in your your case it, it, it's a it's a good example of how important it is to have people around you who know how to do other things and in this case your friend kind of negotiated mm -hmm. saw the saw the vision which could mm -hmm. happen and talked to you uh, and, you know all of you uh, into doing the outcome that he was he was looking for so that's yeah. also important having the right people there but it's negotiation is is a massive part of this like I, i'm sure as you know now as you do what you do it's you, you have to be you have to be very clear uh, and 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 concise with uh with how you communicate what it is that you do because people want to know things like price schedule mm -hmm. etc and without those things uh you can't be professional and if you're not professional then nobody serious is, is going to want to work with you so <laughs> you, you have to have to figure that out uh so you you go back to la at this point is this where uh ucla comes into the picture or was there still something yeah. in between this well there was actually a few years in between um so i was making music under a pseudonym uh, which I don't really put put public these days. Don't want to put um, it out there. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah, not 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 right now. Um, but I was Too making music. And... No, no huge hits, but you know, I was in. I, I got moderate buzz around certain circles and stuff like that. Um, and I was doing a little bit of performing, and I was also working, you know, various odd jobs and stuff like that. Um, but I was doing a little bit of performing, and um and and this is about when i started to think you know i was was really asking myself some pretty tough questions you know this is late 2000s and the music industry had changed drastically in the past decade that i was really paying attention to it closely so you know streaming was there youtube was there nobody was really buying cds anymore spotify was everywhere um I had to ask myself some really tough questions about basically what longevity did I see in terms of being a professional musician and how, you know, and basically the answer was either I become more of a performing artist, which I didn't have that much interest in doing, um, or I started to get more into the music that gets essentially syn syn synchronized music, music that gets used in or is made directly for media products so whether it's tv or movies or video games 
And I had never really, I mean, I love that music. Of course, I grew up listening to that and, and paying attention. I had albums that I liked, but I never really thought deeply about, could I be a composer? Could I write, you know, this type of music? And what would that sound like? But this is when I was sort of coming to terms with that. And I was also, you know, I was thinking about who are musicians in their 50s, 60s, 70s who are still working on exciting projects, you know? And the answer that kept coming up was was film composers. Film composers, sometimes their best years are very late in their life. So that, from a longevity perspective, was enticing, you know? And I thought that I could sort of establish some roots and try really hard to play sort of a longer game um, in that in that world. And I was relatively late coming to it. I know there are, you know, high school students now that are learning media composition and, and then they go to a film music school and, you know, and they're 18 years old learning things that I was, you know, a decade older beginning to learn. Um, but uh, but yeah, but that that's when UCLA extension started to get in. And I was also, that's also roughly around the time that I started to intern and then be an assistant for some film composers around Los Angeles. Um, so I was, again, I found myself, I like to be in rooms where people are doing cool stuff and, um, you know, whatever way I can push myself and find myself in that room that I'm going to, at least at that point, I would try to do. So that's what I did uh, then as well. So you were, um, if I understood this correctly, you were an intern for uh, a composer before you went into UCLA. It was around the same time. I don't really remember what came first, but it was the same period that I was interested. I switched my sights pretty drastically uh, into into media composition. So, yeah. Was that something you had? Was it like a, a very strategic uh, choice to go into media composition, or did you have some sort of you know innate passion or drive for for that medium? It was more the passion. I it was more that I started to. I mean, there was definitely a a, a bit of a strategic where beyond just sort of feeling, I was feeling burnt out by trying to make a living selling music um and i didn't i just didn't and i needed i needed to keep making music I, it's not really strategic it's more like survival i needed to keep making music somehow and and in a way that people were actually generating some moderate amount of income and i just sort of was trying anything i could to figure out where that world would be and and then the moment I started to be like, it, maybe this is it, that's when I just became obsessed with it creatively. I was like, so it wasn't, I mean, yes, there's, you know, we all have to bills to pay. There was a little bit of motivation of just like, I gotta, I, gotta, you know, I gotta pay rent. But then the moment I real, I sort of touched on it, then I just took over my creative life. And I was very obsessed and passionate and uh, still am. Uh, and were your your personal uh like who did you at this time who did you look up to was it more like film composers or did you have did you hear any video game music that you loved what was the stuff you were sort of looking at yeah 
Um, it was mostly film composers. So, you know, the, the legendary ones, John Williams and, um, you know, obviously Hans Zimmer looms large in that world. Um, uh, John Carpenter, I was very obsessed with John Carpenter music because I've always liked synthesizers and I liked the simplicity of, of the way that he did everything. Um, and then in terms of video game, I didn't get truly obsessed with video games. You know, it might have been the Tron. There was a Tron game that came out around the time that that movie came out. This is maybe 2012, so around that, maybe 2013. I really liked that soundtrack a lot. Um, and that was, again, very synthy. And then I started to pay more attention to, like, horror games and sci-fi games and stuff like that and then so, oh you know what else was was um so uh um austin wintry put out journey that was a that was a big when i heard that a friend of mine who works on destiny right now uh writes music for destiny we went to a little gathering of composers in los angeles and austin wintry was uh showing journey and showing before the game had ever come out and uh it was like, wow, you can get this level of creativity and nuance and emotion and passion into a game. Um, that was that definitely opened some my eyes uh, pretty pretty wide. Yeah, sounds like it sort of gave you permission to exert art into that medium. Yeah, maybe, did you have like a strong uh, preconception or 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 in an idea that music for games needs to be like purely functional. Yeah. Yeah. I sort of thought it was either, you know, the most sort of cartoony, you know, Mario type stuff, or it's just going to be all, you know, hyper, um, you know, trailer music, essentially just big, you know, and th that's it. End of story. Um, and uh and once i realized that there was a whole world of nuance in the middle of those two big poles you know oh you know what else came out around that time was the last of us soundtrack came out around that time and the first game and that was a really special soundtrack and that definitely turned video game music on its head in terms of like this is an action game this is a zombie game but meanwhile the music is so t personal and touching and just close you feel like you're right next to the guitar when you listen to it um that was that was a that was a big one too for me yeah when when did that that first one come out do you remember i want to say 2012 or 2013 uh, that's that would be my guess but i don't really know um, um yeah i could i could try and look it up 2013 looks like mm -hmm. yeah yeah cool was that um so um do 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 you want to go first to the intern thing or the ucla your choice <laughs> doesn't uh, matter either um <laughs> okay i guess cool. the intern thing intern yeah. Stuff, yeah i mean um I, I don't know if you want to you don't have to mention any names of of who you who you worked for uh, etc but uh what was that um what was that experience like like in terms of your 
um, compositional growth? Like, uh, did you learn music theory? Did you learn its practical application? Did you learn arrangement, orchestration, or what about the the technical side of it? Um, what was that experience like? Yeah. So, uh, so I worked for a number of composers. I'm probably not going to say most of their names, but the no, well, the one that I will shout out is a guy named Jeff Rona, um, and he's a really incredible composer. He's he's been around. He actually was on the original MIDI, um, like basically organization when they were developing MIDI. Um, so he nice. really knows. OG. His, yeah, real OG. What? So it's Jeff Brona. Jeff Rona. Yeah. Um, and around that time, he was working on uh, God of War three, um, R O N A. Um, oh, so, okay, yeah. really incredible composer. Uh, he he worked with Hans Zimmer for a while in the, I think the nineties, maybe late eighties uh, to the nineties. Um, and uh, he is a really nice guy, and he was able to foster a, and still still is, and still it still has a. I I, I I'm friends with him, and I worked with some of his employees as well. Um, he's able to foster a really creative atmosphere um, where it feels like there's always something happening, something new. We're also finishing something. It doesn't feel, I mean, there are times of course where you have to work pretty hard, um, but it doesn't feel like it's a fact, like you're in a factory, you know, music just cranking stuff out. It just never, never feels like that. It feels like everything is done with intention um so that was definitely working in his studio was definitely big for me and it was mostly the information that you pick up like that nobody would ever tell you to pay attention to the way that you set up a fi files on your computer or the way that you know when you're writing uh violins like a subtle decision why did he make this decision instead of that just little little tiny things that no teacher would ever tell you about because they're so small they're they all they seem insignificant but they add up to build a much larger and more important sort of picture and intention they, they show a level of intention behind the, the small decisions those were what i picked up a lot of um, in a short amount of time and Pretty quickly, the other thing is, is that even though I was in college, you know, I was in UCLA Extension at that time, um, I was expecting he immediately was just asked me to do pretty advanced stuff that I had never done. And so a lot of learning on the job, but I like that. Uh, so it was, you know, orchestration and mixing and doing MIDI instruments and sample libraries and all that kind of stuff. I just immediately was either expected to know how to do somehow or was able to watch someone else do it in front of me and then be expected to do it the second time after i watched it one time um and uh so yeah that that was that was a good experience for sure um and we worked on some cool projects around that time as well yeah in in those situations where you had to pick pick up something really fast Mm -hmm. Again, do do you feel like you do you have a uh, an 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 innate ability for that, or was that was picking up things fast like a skill or a skill set that you needed to learn to sort of you know keep up with the with the pace and and if if it was that how how did you 
you know, if you could break it down, yeah. that would great. You know, that's a good question. I I do think when it comes to technical stuff on the computer, I think I'm pretty good just at, at picking stuff up. And, um, you know, this is not to say it, it was easy or it, I didn't make a lot of mistakes like I did. Um, in terms of, like, learning, I, th I would say my number one skill was just or then my number one thing that I leaned on was just being confident in my ability to figure it out, whatever it might be. So I, I if you asked me to, you know, let's say we're, we're, we have an orchestral score and he asks me to take the violins and, uh, you know, separate them in a way so that, you know, this part is on its own sheet of paper. Okay. And then, and I had never used the software before, and I barely knew why the violin needed to be on a separate sheet of paper, but that's what he asked. So, and then I, you know, I usually would have like, let's say an hour, an hour and a half, and I would Google it. I would read the help, you know, the help menu. I would just click buttons, you know, make the wrong mistakes and save it as a copy so I didn't mess up the original and basically just figure out, okay, well, if I needed to separate it and this would be the step and just kind of do go step by step. Sort of, I think the main skill is take these big problems into digestible, small little things. So you have this, so that what I'm not talk, actually talking about is a small thing, but we imagine that he needed to take 30 songs and transform all of them in very specific ways and that can be really overwhelming but you start with just saying okay well the first song all we need to do is we need to take the violin and we need to at, bring it into a different file in a certain way so let's just do that and learn how to do that and then the second song we need to do similar thing with cello but we you already know sort of how to do that but with another one new step added to there so then you do the same work you try it and then get it and just kind of move on, move through it. So I would say that what I'm good at is trying until I get it right um, and not being afraid to do something when I don't completely know what I'm doing. Um, Did you have any past, like was that something you already knew going into it or did you sort of realize with this big workload that I, I need to just break it down into chunks that I can do one by one. Was that a lesson you learned already before getting into it? Or was it something you figured out during the, the, the process? I get, I don't, I don't know. I don't know when I, I, I imagine it was something that I figured out just kind of practically just it, this is the challenge that's in front of me i'm entrusted with this task and it's not life or death but also people are relying that it gets done so what is the quickest way for me to get from right now into that task being done and me not knowing how to get there and just kind of faking my way through or you know just figuring it out every step of the way i think it's yeah. it was more like I, I i couldn't imagine doing in any any like i, I didn't ask people because i didn't want to bother them they had their own stuff so i couldn't really ask i you know i just figured it out yeah yeah 
And uh, like, well, I I don't particularly like the the saying "fake it till you make it," and I feel yeah. like that's that's partly what I sensed in there. Like you almost said it said it i know and i caught myself because i don't like that phrase either but that's i think super interesting about about you is is to um is to notice that because it's not you you were obviously put into a position and a job that was uh you know slightly beyond your current skill set level which is frankly ideal you know you you want to be in that position but there's also a lot of stress uh, re- um, re- related to that, and you have to mm-hmm. tolerate that, and you have to rise to the occasion. And like you said, simply break it down into chunks that you can manage. Mm-hmm. And as you manage many of these tasks over time, you're going to grow, grow as a as a re- as a result of that. Um, so, so I so I'm not going to ask. <laughs> Uh, you know how do you deal with the the faking till you're making it but there are a lot of people out there who are looking for let's say similar jobs to to what you did as an intern there and they are facing a lot of um uh tasks and challenges that they haven't faced yet and i think this is this is in part a a big problem that my generation uh, and probably you know the ones that have come after that i don't know i can't really speak for that but certainly my generation struggles with is the this idea that you can't go into something unless you already master something uh, you, mm-hmm. you you shouldn't even put yourself in jobs that are beyond your um skill level um or your skill set but but it's going to be really difficult to grow unless you do that to to some capacity. And also, it's it's a mindset that comes from a place of fear, because you don't want to face failure, uh, uh, micro failure, and you don't want to, uh, you know, put yourself in a position where somebody might be, you know, disappointed in you, etc. I mean, this opens an entire Pandora's box of millennial issues, but. Um, uh in terms of that that i mean you touched on that uh, a bit already in terms of w- how you were breaking it down but how did you did you did you did you struggle to cope with the mental aspect of doing something that you weren't completely ready for i mean i, I get a sense that you you're pretty calm in these situations and you can logically break it down and 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 attack it but i'm sure some maybe anxiety or pressure at the very least was was involved so first of all did you feel that and and how did you mentally deal with that if you know if at all yeah so for me the way it normally comes about is when i don't feel like i have enough time and i know we never really feel like we have enough time to do whatever task is in front of us because we all want more time but i usually have a pretty good gauge of like okay this thing would normally take me three hours but you're asking me to do it in 45 minutes that's the only time those are the times that i get actually stressed because i know i know i'm gonna make mistakes i that you can't like there's no way not to make mistake and i don't like doing something either half-assed or just 
poorly, you know? So those are the moments because that's when I'm really out external pressures are forcing me into a box where I know it's designed for me to fail, right? Um, those are the times that I, it can get to me a bit emotionally. Um, but most of the time I'm able to keep it, you know, under wraps or allow myself, you know, does like you want it in 45 minutes. Like what happens if I give it to you tomorrow morning before you even show up to work? You know, it's like, let's, let's try to find a way and I'll just stay up all night, but I'll have the time to, I'll even have time to take a rest and get my, get a little more energy. Then I'll have time to do it right. Um, that's usually how I would handle those types of situations. Let's, you know, not a crazy, let's just, you know, give me, give me overnight. And then in the, but the moment you walk in, it'll be ready on your desk. Um, but um, yeah. And then, you know, the real stress of this, of anything creative and any music musician for me, at least is the, the, the bloom, the bigger one, which is, you know, how am I going to pay rent and how am I going to build a career? And is this whatever gig I'm on right now, is this going to be the last one that, you know, that's where the, that's where my true anxieties lie. Usually not the work in the moment. I'm, I'm usually pretty good at doing, but the, the bigger one, that's where the, the existential fear comes in. Yeah. Cool. Um, <laughs> So I will probably loop back to that maybe later on, but um, you, when it comes to um, uh, Jeff, um, mm -hmm. you, because you mentioned he 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 sort of cultivated this uh, good atmosphere, and mm -hmm. and and managed people in that sense really well. Mm -hmm. um, that sounds similar to me from what I've heard of of Hans. Um, mm -hmm. You know, being very good with people and and you know, selling his his vision, etc. Do you mm -hmm. think it's something that he, um, you know, picked up uh, from Hans, or mm -hmm. did he work for Hans because he had that that ability innately, or? What what do you think he, happened there? It's probably a little bit of both. I think that um, you know he's a he's a personable guy. Most people who meet him walk away like you know like liking him personally. Um, and I have heard horror stories about certain composers who leave Hans Zimmer's studio, and um, in my opinion, they learn the wrong lesson which is, you know, to them, they learn that every musical note or every decision that we're making is life or death. And if someone around me makes the smallest, mis you know, they basically run it like a military or something, you know, you make the smallest mistake, then there's all hell to pay. And, um, and in my opinion, it's not just that that's bad for the people around you to be on edge and fearful of their work. In my opinion, it's bad ultimately for the music. It's bad ultimately for the job. Like people, I don't, you know, and I understand the mentality that people are going to, you know, perform better if, if they're fearful to not make mess up. Like I get 
that that's where that comes from, but I just don't buy it. And I think it's a much stronger thing to cultivate a sense of safety, security, and not that we're not working hard and not that, you know, people, you know, when you mess up, you still need to, you know, have a little bit of a, under, a communication session so everybody understands why it was a mistake and hopefully it doesn't happen again and so on. But, um, but I think that that's a much, not just better personally, but creates a better product and makes the client happier in the, at the end of the day. Um, so I don't know, you know, if Jeff, I know that there was definitely some practices that Jeff took from Hans Zimmer, um, in working with that. But I also have a feeling that he very willfully decided to abandon certain practices and willfully decided that I don't want to run things the way I, I had to run them because now I'm in control and I don't want to recreate what was really bad for me when I was there. And I, this is just me speculating. I haven't heard anything. I'm just guessing. I don't want anybody to write any articles. I'm just guessing here. Um, but uh, that that's my suspicion. Um, in terms yeah. of that and it's uh it reminds me of what harry grex uh, is it grexon grexon williams is that mm -hmm. his name yes um you know he said that same thing you know he doesn't want to be uh, a mini hans zimmer you know he wants to do his own thing and that's precisely what i think everybody should be doing you know if you uh it's awesome that you you are uh not only lucky enough but you know obviously people work work hard to get to the position where they can work for someone like Hans. But mm -hmm. the goal isn't to, to be the next Hans Zimmer because you, you can't be that. Nobody can be anything else ultimately than what they are or they you know, risk becoming just a, a kind of a poor replica of something. And then by definition, you can't be creative anymore. It'll just be like a, a bad replication of something else. But uh, yeah, I mean, what you said about fear is is you know, very true. I think there are some people who can sort of channel it and funnel it into the right place. But mm -hmm. I, I'd say for the, for, for the majority of people, uh, fear will block creativity because fear mm -hmm. is about survival. And when you're just trying to survive, it's very difficult to be creative because you're simply thinking about the essentials of what you need, you know, breathing, etc. But just, you know, getting out of this position instead of getting into it, which is what creativity mm -hmm. um, demands. But um, yeah. if you if you had to look at what, what, what Jeff did with people in terms of cultivating that good atmosphere, if you had to break it down to maybe like the, the most essential component, or maybe if, if you can uh, mention a few that's that's fine as well but um what is it that he actually did to achieve that because these can be very you know elusive and and you know intangible uh, things to a lot of people it's the main thing is that you walk away from from somebody and they you know they made you feel good but what are mm -hmm. the what are the practical things that you think he he did so there's two things that I think he he did really well and and still does really well. Um, one thing is, is he always when people are around and it's lunchtime or dinner time, he will make some sort of a 
you know, carry out order or delivery order, and he'll invite everybody to enjoy the meal, and and he will encourage people to take the whatever 30, 40 minutes that went after the food comes and actually just sit there and eat it, even if there's work to be done. And I think that those moments that seem, I mean, insignificant, I mean, from a time perspective, maybe it's better that I eat in front of my, and of course we did that a little bit, but but maybe it's better if I eat in front of my desk and work, you know, but he would say, no, we're, we're all just going to enjoy our meal. And I think that there are a lot of just camaraderie, a lot of walls were broken down, just a lot of, you know, it's breaking bread with people that are around you. And um, so that's a very practical thing that um, I think fostered a lot of goodwill with him and everybody who was working for him and with him. Um, the other thing that he did was he would give people shots and it would be little, it would be small, but he would say like, I'm working on the and some you know I have a feeling that there are things that maybe he didn't really want to do just because he was kind of bored of it or whatever. But he'd be like, "Hey, can you um, can you add the strings to this to this part?" You know, and obviously if it was bad, he wouldn't use it. But and but he would just leave for the afternoon, and then he would let someone random just touch his music, uh, which I know some people would be very precious about. But he would, and then he would show up in the morning, and if it was good enough to use he would just keep keep it in there um and those were little moments where he was you know to some on one level he's sort of testing you a little bit but really i think he's giving you a shot and he's saying like here's a little window like let's see what you can do and if you did a good job he would tell you good work sounds really good uh simple stuff you know doesn't cost him any money to do that but it but it brings it brings a level of trust and it 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 shows that he's acknowledging the humanity of the people who are around him even if they've never you know done that before he's he'll give him a little shot uh in a way that if they mess up it's not the end of the world you know nobody's gonna yell at them um when he first yeah. said shot i thought he would grab a, a <laughs> bottle of vodka and uh, it's like well, well he would do uh, you know there was there was a little bit of uh alcohol uh consuming but no no I, I give him a chance to maybe do something nice and maybe participate in the project in a po positive way uh, yeah. yeah if you work here you go to drink every day <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, no that's you know, yeah yeah for sure those are both uh super powerful obviously I mean, the, the power of food and like you said, you know, sharing that with people, that's a super, super deep bonding thing for, for most. And the other one is, I think, pure genius because you, it's kind of, it's like a win-win thing in, in every mm -hmm. single regard. Uh, you know, you, you give people an opportunity and that obviously makes them feel good and they learn and maybe you get a good part out of it. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, even if you don't, the cost is absolutely nothing. You just that's press right. delete and that's it. Um, that's right. So that's that's really, really solid. Mm -hmm. uh, going into the UCLA stuff, um, what, what was that experience like? Um, how did you, you probably had some expectations going into that and how did the reality meet that expectation? You know, so I, 
so after I, a few years after I was doing this intern stuff, um, and I'll come back to the UCLA in just one second. Um, I started to teach uh, for a, a bachelor's program in music composition for doing a lot of this type of stuff. So this was at the Musicians Institute. And so I was, I was then all of a sudden, I was on the other side of the, I was the teacher and I had a bunch of young, you know, 18, 19 year olds there. Um, some of which who were really, really passionate about what we were learning and some who kind of were there for whatever, a variety of reasons. They found themselves in this situation and maybe that's not really where their heart was. Um, for me, when I was taking those classes at UCLA, uh, they were exactly what I wanted to be learning. They were precisely what I needed. So I was ecstatic and I consider those classes to be really invaluable in terms of giving me hands-on experience, working with real musicians, working with real string players and choirs and stuff like that. And I was writing music almost every week. I had to write a new pretty long song. So it was just a lot of, you know, the pace was up um and you know there i learned and i met other students who cared a lot uh um so for me it was a very very valuable experience um with that said i've heard negative stuff i've heard some people who go there and they're not maybe like some of my other students they're just not ready for it it's not where their heart is at and um they're not getting much out of it so that's not good and then i also the flip side is i hear students who Maybe they'll go to a brilliant university conservatory and in in a, in a different country, and then they'll decide I'm going to go to Los Angeles and I'm going to learn in Hollywood, and then they'll go to this this program and they've already learned eighty percent of it, and they might have a negative experience there too. So um, for me, it was precisely what I needed to learn. It was how to. I, you know, I could read music, but I had never written for an orchestra. I had never, I didn't understand, you know, a lot of about orchestration and a lot about strings and stuff like that. Um, and that's what I wanted to learn. And then I took, you know, conducting, I took uh, um, a video game class. I took about, you know, how to write uh, for a choir, you know, all sorts of very niche things. And they were quick. You know, it would be about maybe six weeks or eight weeks or something like that per class. And you'd get a whole lot of hands-on experience and then you'd move on. Um, so yeah, I liked it a lot. It I got a lot out of it. Did you um what about the 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 social aspect of it? Did you did you use that time to make a lot of connections either with peers or or teachers or the staff yeah as best i could um I, I still have some friends that i met in that program um and uh and some of the teachers uh, were you know were, were very helpful and some of them were you know sort of renowned in certain ways and in, in film composition and stuff like that um so i got to meet some you know some living legends which was really special um, but, uh, yeah. And so, yeah, the, the social, you know, the social aspect was good too. It, it was nice to be around other people that care about the thing that you happen to care about in that moment. Um, so I got, I got to experience that for sure. Yeah. 
So what what happens after the um, the 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 thing is done? Do you sort of transition into entrepreneurship uh, right after that, or was there uh, no. some stepping stones? Yeah, so I worked under some other composers um, besides Jeff, and uh, some of them, you know these were real working composers these were people who just sort of like you know non sexy projects you know might be a documentary or something on you know public tv or you know some nickelodeon show or something you know cartoon just, just very you know not really high profile stuff but but working hard and a lot of them were really good at what they did they're some of these people they're um environment was not as comfortable for me to be around in terms of some of the stuff we were talking about with with jeff and and his his setup so i didn't have the best experience with some of these people and i spent at least a few years sort of being definitely underpaid for the work that i was doing and just not really feeling appreciated but also just not feeling feeling like i was growing which is all like i i'll be underpaid if if i feel like i'm growing but I didn't feel it was both, you know? Um, so then after a certain amount of time, then I decided I'm going to be just like you said, entrepreneur. And those were maybe the darkest few years of my life. After I stopped, I decided, you know, there was a little bit of ego. I, in hindsight, I probably could have gone to some other composers who were a bit nicer, including maybe Jeff. I could have, you transitioned in a bit safer of a way, but I, I made this big proclamation. I'm done working. I'm going to just get jobs on my own. And for a long time, they just didn't come. So I just that did everything I could to keep the lights on and to keep the rent paid and um, to figure it out on my own. And then that around that period is when I got the teaching job at the, uh, at the college. Uh, which was a nice, very important lifeline for me to, again, like I'm saying, just keep just a few days a week, two days a week, I'd be teaching. And it was usually just barely enough to cover my baseline expenses. And, um, and then I taught, you know, I've taught there for probably about 10 years, um, up, up through the pandemic. It was just about a year or two ago that I stopped teaching there. Um, but then that's when I, started to think a little more entrepreneurially a little more about building my own business and not just me as like selling you know it's hard to sell yourself as a product i found and i think maybe some people are better at this than me but i'm not great at that so it, i would be adam flickston the composer you know hire me and it would be like well why and you know or, or who are you and you know and uh, that was a that was a tough hurdle for me. It's it's easier for me to say, this is the company. It's not just me. I have other people. These are a list of services that we do and that we've done in the past. People seem to like it when we do that. Like to me, that's a that's an easier thing than just I am a composer who writes music. Um, it's easier to wrap my head around the 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 pitch of that, um, which is probably one of the reasons why I started the company. How did you, um, well, first of all, I, I guess, is business something that comes naturally to you? Or again, is it something you had to learn completely, you know, <laughs> from the from the ground up? 
Yeah, it is definitely not something that comes naturally to me. I, you know, it's a, I admire, I have some friends who are composers and, but they also happen to be very good business people and, uh, and they're successful and it works out for them. And I really do admire them for that. I have to work pretty hard at it. I have to think pretty carefully. I have to not get frustrated. You know, I, I, there are, you know, there are times when I just get overwhelmed. The business part of it is probably the most overwhelming and it has always been for me personally. And I've brought on employees. I've brought on people who work for me to try to relieve the burden to some degree. And sometimes that works moderately well, but most of the time it's just a matter of growing up, sucking it up to some degree, getting a little bit better, reading books and trying to learn from other people, but mostly just sort of figuring figuring it out and trying to be, you know, my main rule is you try to be generally good to the people that are around you, even if it does, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they're ever going to give you a job or not. It doesn't matter. Just try to be generally good to the people around you and hope that somewhere, somehow, that's going to help your business. Um, yeah. Has, has there been, I mean, I know you, you said you sort of just like, figure it out and and you know through the process learn it but ha has there been uh have there been any uh key lessons that you've had to learn about business if you had to sort of i don't know find some some key cornerstones i don't know if that makes makes any sense as a as a sentence but yeah yeah uh, sure. yeah any 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 key elements that you've learned and i think it can be it doesn't need to be like uh and i'm asking because obviously musicians or creatives of, of any sort they need to learn how to monetize their mm -hmm. their work or you know find somebody who can do that for them but mm -hmm even when you're doing that you need to understand what you're getting yourself into because unfortunately it is often the case that people are taken advantage of and mm -hmm. and uh you know slimy business people uh you know give you very hollow promises and take too much mm -hmm. money and um so e even for that reason it's important to understand business so that you can make an educated decision about getting a business partner involved and that it makes sense to you or then in many cases do it do it yourself so mm -hmm. from that perspective has there been you know these uh, uh be, being a creative being a musician being somebody who to whom business doesn't come uh you know naturally mm -hmm. what are some of the the biggest lessons you've you've learned okay um so there's two maybe that I'll touch on. One that I'm really trying to get better at, which is you need to really learn what you're selling, you know? And like what I was saying, if, I, if I'm Adam Flix and the composer, you need to learn what is it that makes you special and in a way that is easy to tell somebody else, easy to digest. And you can tell that my brain, the way my brain works, I like hopping between genres i like working on projects that are drastically different you know i'll work on a horror thing and then i'll work on a happy fun comedy and i like that i like that i enjoy that so but that is not really that's counterintuitive from selling yourself as something um 
so especially for especially very difficult to understand for non-creative people yeah like totally. let's say you are like a running running uh a video game company and you're doing like the management stuff if you're not a creative <laughs> yourself that doesn't make any sense to you so yeah but sorry, absolutely you know. no yeah yeah totally um so learning how to and it's some a lot of it is intrapersonal work which i probably when i was in my 20s i probably just literally did not have the mental capability to even decide if if you know the big question it's scary it's sort of scary question if you could only write one genre of music or whatever one type of movie or one type of game for the rest of your life what would that thing be um and and so a way of sort of saying like so like like i just said i could do horror i could do comedy but do i think that if i put all of my focus into comedy would i then eventually be one of the best comedy composers in the world like is that something that i truly think i was excel at and for me the answer is no probably not uh that's not really where my brain goes so um and i'm still this is still a process that i think i am not doing as good of a job as i should so i'm trying to get better at this but i believe on one level you need to kind of be able to competently do a lot of what comes your way so you need to be a bit of a generalist in terms of professionalism but then you need to be a sort of a specialist in terms of like where are you actually one of the best in the world what it, where's the zone that people if some project comes your way they're like oh we got to hire that person because they're the person for that um so that i think is the one big thing that i'm still trying to get better at i'm still trying to define for myself and for my company and it's always changing a little bit but i think it's changing less than it would have five years ago or eight years ago what is the main thing that you are selling what is the main not just like i'm good hire me but what is the real practical tangible thing that people are going to want you for um so that's the first lesson that I think everybody should be thinking pretty hard about. Um, the other one, gosh, I lost my train of thought a little bit. Um, I actually forgot what the other one is. Yeah. That's fine, that's fine. I mean, if it comes back to you, let me know. But um, mm, sure. what, what would you say is 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 that thing for, for you or for silent audio? Yeah. So, I think that I am a technology person. I think that I can get really, really, I, I think in terms of like new sounds, in terms of electronic or sounds that are just coming out in 2024, I'm pretty good at jump joining in the and jumping in and and thriving in in stuff that is brand new. That's that's something that I thrive at. So definitely, when it comes to electronic music, I'm 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 pretty strong at, or I'm quite strong at that. You know, to some degree, I'm good at marrying what's what they call hybrid. You know, marrying orchestral with electronic. I I definitely think that I'm quite strong at that. Although there's a lot of other great composers out there who are good at that. But when it comes to like taking music and getting as technology focused as possible. You know, whether we're talking about programming or we're talking about just the sounds that are very, very hyper modern. Um, I, you know, 
that's where I'm probably I could I could I, I could swing with some of the best out there in, in the business for sure. And from a company perspective, it's similar. It's similar but a little different. We are a technology music slash audio company. We, you know, we're mostly music. We mostly spend our time with the the hyper technologically advanced side of music in games. So we do a lot of complex music manipulation in a game context and then and sound design similarly but then we also do some programming and anyway it's just really about the the nerdy technology side of music that's where we thrive i think um this if that makes sense i i, I could do better this is what i'm trying to get a, a better little <laughs> yeah. succinct answer I'm, for yeah yeah i mean my, my follow-up would be like how mm -hmm. do you how do you currently communicate that to to your clients is it uh is it through branding is it obviously you have you have a lot of audio examples that you can you can play to them or does it sort of go deeper to to the level of relationship building that people begin to you know understand who it is that you are and you know how, how do you how do you communicate that to yeah to people so you remember you I, I thought of the other the other thing that I uh, okay uh, well you can so go I'll to answer, that we can no no I, I'll answer your question first and then I'll I'll jump to that because um, they're connected um, ultimately it's it's about relationships for me I mean obviously having an online presence is, is important um, and if I had more time and more you know resources at my disposal I would probably spend more time on our website. And, and my own personal website. And I probably would make more video content and moving content and stuff like that. Cause I think that stuff is really important. Um, but fundamentally what it really comes down, I, it, you know, we could spend the next six months worrying about every pixel of our website. And I don't think that that would be worth, you know, um, one afternoon with, with a person who happens to work on a, on a cool game. Um, like uh, to me, it's really about relationships, really just about interpersonal connections between people and just sort of being a person that people like to be around and being a person that people would tr entrust with their baby, you know, would feel like you're not gonna mess it up. You're gonna, you know, you might have a, you might have be creative and you might have a, a, a vision and I have a vision and we're gonna be able to work on that and we're gonna find a unified vision that is really just better than what either of us could do on our on our own and sort of con you know convincing people that you are um worthy of their trust in in that kind of a way to, to me that's that's everything um so along those lines what i was going to say very connected one business thing in the audio space that i have found is and this was a mistake that i made a lot when i was younger um to not see other people who do what you do as competitors like you are not coca-cola and they're not pepsi and to think of it in that kind of a way uh, is is just a complete you're just only going to shoot yourself in the foot you're just going to hurt your career um i had one teacher at ucla extension that said don't hang out with other composers because they're your competition hang out with filmmakers or whatever. And I understand why he was saying that. I mean, of course, it makes sense broadly because filmmakers are going to be the person who hires you to work, to write music for their film. But 
I also think he's wrong. I just think he's flat out wrong. And most of the best projects I've ever gotten been a part of came in some way or another from other composers who uh, that's, you know, they entrusted me and they recommended me or they had, they couldn't, or they just thought that they weren't going to be able to do the job well enough. And, or they were a collaboration where we both worked on it together. Um, so I really think that you need to be kind to people around you and you need to not see this it's hard because sometimes you know bills have to get paid but you you can't see this as a cutthroat kind of dog eat dog kind of business because that's only going to hurt you in the long run um and people aren't going to want to be around you and they're not going to want to work with you if that's if you treat them like a, a means to an end yeah i mean this is the thing that i've observed that absolutely is how how things are done at at the high you know highest level it's it's fundamentally the the scarcity versus abundance mindset mm -hmm. and um nothing tells me faster that that you you really don't maybe right from a creative place is if you think the the pie is fixed because uh, like there there are many 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 you know situations and realities where obviously if there's one job and two or more people are applying only you know one is going to get that job but mm -hmm. as composers like i refuse to compete with anything um other than than my individuality like if somebody is looking to hire a composer and they're choosing between me and you i like they're they should be making that choice based on how you write music mm -hmm. and and putting you know all of the 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 eggs in that basket because they want something creatively from you and i can't write what you can and and vice versa i mean obviously there and if we, and if you can then we're probably talking about a level that is sort of um what would be the word for that trivial like if 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 a lot of people can do it then it's very very likely that it's not very complex it's not very unique uh, mm -hmm. and it's it's sort of uh very uh what's the word um sort of you know template stuff just mm -hmm. very generic generic yes. material mm -hmm. and you know if you get a job uh, uh over me i only see that as as a celebration because i will assume that they actually wanted your music for that project <laughs> and that's right that that's great and also people you know like like uh, and, and again i agree a hundred percent with you but you know having good relationships with people let's say you know there, there are a bunch of composers out there who can't take all of the the work coming their way <laughs> and their client is going to ask, well, do you know anybody who could do this for me? And and guess who they're going to recommend? It's going to be someone mm -hmm. they know, someone they trust, someone obviously they need to see you as a compatible element with that project. But, mm -hmm. you know, people do, do, you know, make the good go around as well. So, um, and again, if, if people like you, they, they want to recommend you. Uh, forward mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. yeah it's this um and you know anybody who does 
does this this way who build relationships and treat people properly and and have this abundance mindset and also see like if we work together we can create more uh more of this uh good stuff okay. anybody who does that reaps the the benefits of that but to get to that point you have to move past the ego it, you have to and you have to move past the the fear because mm -hmm. you know you have to stop thinking about oh they're trying to take mine so i have to mm -hmm. protect everything i have with everything i i've got um and also that like the ego component is oh no you know adam got this project over me and that must mean i'm horrible and i'm shit and mm -hmm. obviously that's you can <laughs> That that line of thinking can can continue uh, very far into dark dark depths, I guess. But um, yeah, I I mean I I, I completely agree with um, what you're saying. Uh, and also, like one of the things, this is what I uh, also have struggled with a lot because, to me, as a composer. I can write in a lot of genres and that can be super tough to communicate to clients. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and obviously probably one of the best ways of doing that is to actually have audio examples of music in that genre. Um, and preferably like a project example, if possible. But what I try and communicate more than any, anything else is how I do things. Because mm -hmm. for me, it's pretty trivial whether this soundtrack is like a chip tune orchestral mm -hmm. mix versus a like a hybrid, very actionable, uh, you know, something action oriented with you know the big orchestral epic um, hybrid sound. It's I can do all of those things, but it's you know what kind of a what kind of life do you breathe into it? What is the actual compositional substance like uh <laughs> that's what i try and communicate and i i find that it's it's only certain types of clients who are creatives <laughs> themselves who understand that so is that something you do you specifically or specially seek out those types of clients or first of all they're probably more rare than the the other types but do you seek them out and you know how what what's the difference between the experience of working with like a very let's say creative game designer who under understands these type of types of things versus somebody who comes maybe from a bigger uh company who's more of like a managerial type you know i've i've been wrestling with that a lot recently that's a it's a big question and you know some of my um friends who do similar work as my company they have branded themselves as much more as we are business services we are you know of course we're creative but we're but we're going to provide a clean product to you and that's kind of the the avenue that they've taken and i think there's some value to that because a lot of the people a lot of their clients are that on in reverse they're sort of mirroring who their clients are on the other side they are a video game manager of some kind and they want to know that they can just 
you know, write a check and then in a certain amount of time have the appropriate assets sort of come back to them. That's, that's the, that's what they're looking for. And, um, you know, I do, I do wonder because I would much prefer work with people who care about the art of their product. And I would much rather work on projects that are truly driven by a vision of some court of some kind um so i've always branded myself as that and you know my company has a tagline audio for creative minds um so sort of saying like this is we're here to foster your creativity that's the that's the goal um but you know is there am i turning off business business manager type people when i do that i don't know I might be, and uh, there are definitely times. You know, sometimes business is booming, and sometimes business goes a little quiet, and that's when you start to ask yourself some of these more scary questions about: Are you making the right decision? Did you go in the right direction, and all that kind of stuff? I don't know. I don't really know the right answer. Um, I'm I'm trying to figure that out at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it fundamentally seems to me like a very it's like a different in, a different industry altogether <laughs> like yeah. working with just a kind of big faceless company who uh you know you're dealing with a, a some kind of a manager who just needs some music in the game and they have a very general idea of what what it is that they need and they have certain standards that they in terms of the again this goes it, it, into the conversation of I, me, I have this theory that most people um li mainly listen to what music sounds like mm -hmm. versus the actual notes underneath and mm -hmm. i i do think the notes underneath speak to everyone but mm -hmm. there are very varying degrees to which they speak to people and mm -hmm. I believe music models meaning, and I think people have varying degrees of, first of all, identifying patterns and, and meaning. And then there's a different degree to which they can detect meaning through uh, the abstraction of, of music, you know, how harmony or rhythm or melody comes together to speak about uh, meaning, but it's, it's a very it's 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 a very different thing to sell yourself as a composer to somebody who understands that and who gets you know goosebumps when they hear this or that and they you know get that from the underlying composition uh, versus somebody who basically only understands the general impression that comes out of speakers you know it's kind of the sonic imprint it's kind of like a some kind of a 2d sculpture of yeah that sounds like edm mm -hmm. to me or that sounds like reggae but it's more right. about identifying the sound which mm -hmm. most people are really good at doing it's something that people mm -hmm. innately just have but yeah. anything that you know uh, differs from what they expect they immediately put it in the the trash bin because they can't recognize it that's really the the problem for them so yeah, I mean, you fundamentally you're dealing with a, a very different type of a, a, a client. It's either a creative collaboration or you're trying to 
at the very least deliver a product that at the surface level uh, ticks the boxes. You know, it makes them say, yeah, this sounds like epic orchestral video game hybrid music. That's mm -hmm. not to say it can't be creatively fantastic underneath, but in terms of getting the paycheck, you have to deliver this surface level crust that is the correct frequency profile of mm -hmm. an audio file. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, yeah, very, very, very different uh, uh, projects. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. It's it's tough to know how to, you know, it's it's about branding, it's about selling yourself. And it's tough to and who your client actually is, like like what you're saying. Is the client just some sort of, you know, business sort of person just trying to fill up fill a hole or are they someone who is deeply passionate? I like to believe that most people even in video games, even if they are a producer or a manager or something like that, still on some level they they found themselves there because of some love, because of some core emotional passion or desire that's that's getting gotten gotten them there. That's my belief. That's my driving belief. But I don't know. Maybe that's not always true. And to be clear, I also, you know, cling on to that belief as well. Mm -hmm. Or at the very least, for me, there's the desire to dig through all of that other stuff and go to their heart and soul and maybe make them feel something you know mm -hmm. despite yeah. all of these other demands that they they um have have to impose upon the the music but fight fight all of the the other stuff that you don't find to be as uh essential and still make mm -hmm. them feel something and and yeah like i said it's it it, it should even if who you're working with do not see or understand um, the essence of what you're trying to bring to the table. It shouldn't stop you from trying to do so. Mm -hmm. So you should still uh, try and do it. Uh, yeah, because ultimately that will, you know, lead to a better, obviously better soundtrack, but also a better video game. And mm -hmm. that's going to make some other people uh, uh, who, who are playing it or listening to it makes their soul, you know, tingle just a little bit so you, you have to try and make the most of every single project and situation regardless of what the conditions are that's right i mean can you imagine if you know when they made mario or zelda you know they just didn't care they didn't believe in the art of what the product of what the product that they were making you know we none of this stuff these movie mario movies that exist these zelda franchises that have lasted for you know 40 years like these would not exist if if the people who initially made them they were looking at the smallest of little pixels moving on a screen if they didn't truly just believe with every ounce of their being that there was something deep in there um that's why they're that's why they they persist you know yeah and it's also very important to remember that you shouldn't expect your you know the the music manager or whoever is managing the video game or at any sort of a level in in that company you shouldn't expect them to understand or uh, or see the vision that you have like it's your job to communicate that to them and and you know everybody has their own strengths and things they things they understand and you're hired as the composer and it's your job to understand that 
that essence, that soul, and try and bring it bring it to whatever you're working on. It's like we, as creatives, we tend to sell ourselves on these very romanticized ideas of of you know what is great and what is not, and what people are like, and what the world is like, and what things should be like. Uh, and in that, it's very easy to become very self-involved and and think that everybody should see the world the way you do or they should understand things the way or at the level that you do uh but i i remember hearing uh nobuo uematsu uh, the, the composer for final the, the original final fantasy uh composer uh, talk about writing the the pre, uh, prelude track uh or the you know the the Final Fantasy theme, the, the original, the arpeggiator, or, or whatever you you know call that <laughs> melody going up and down, and yeah, I think I think that happened. I don't remember what the the what the allocated time was, but it might have been like minutes, but mm-hmm. at at the at the very maximum, it was maybe a a few hours or something. But basically, mm-hmm. they said, okay, by the way, we need some kind of a track or song for this main menu or this menu i don't remember what the i think it was a menu of sorts yeah like we need a main theme playing here Uh, can you get me something in whatever minutes or hours and he was like okay i'll do something and he he went to his office and 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 did this very you know simple up and down uh arpeggiated thing and uh then he played it to the to the head of who was running the project and he sat down and, and he said like and he said this apparently in, in english as well he didn't say it in japanese he s- just said like very good and then he left and that's that's the end of it like that's the <laughs> the history of the, the famous fantastic uh final fantasy main theme uh yeah. arpeggiated theme yeah. so you know it, it and again i i say that to kind of demonstrate that they didn't have like a, a grand plan for like write this epic uh theme that's going to live on for <laughs> you know so, for but, many but, many but still like you know one human being in one room given a handful of hours was able to find some something find something of his personality find something of his humanity of his soul and and put it into these arpeggiated notes that were done on, you know, eight bit, you know, chips. And, and, and then it's like through all of this, this, this thing that are working against it, he was still able to put this, this soul that now has persisted for 40 years or, you know, 35 years. So, you know, it's amazing. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a a good example of, not allowing the circumstances or the the conditions to limit your well first of all creativity but mm-hmm. you know or pouring your heart and soul into it and trying trying to make it as meaningful as as possible mm-hmm. uh it's it's a shame i don't remember the time that he had i think it was it, it wasn't if it was in hours it wasn't many like we're yeah. talking about maybe one two or three or but i think right. it probably might have been in minutes or something but wow yeah um you you did mention that um you know when if we go back to the to the to the branding and communicating to others 
what it is that you specifically can bring to the table. You did mm -hmm. touch on on some composers uh, who who. Well, actually, let me just ask: Who do you think does that the best as uh, as composers who communicate that the best? Like who they are as a composer. Yeah. What What is it that they bring to the table uniquely? Do Do any any come to mind? You know, it's interesting because a lot of rock rock people who go on to become composers are usually pretty good at that and so like danny elfman is an easy example or trent reznor is an easy example because it's almost like they were able to create their artistic expression their demo reel or whatever for how they could be if they were to be stretched and pushed and then use that as a way to transition into into scoring so um from you know as a straight composer i think it's much harder you don't see as many just people who come out you know unless they do maybe they have orchestral pieces that get performed or something like that but it's much harder to brand yourself when you are just a composer um so yeah, I guess probably the strongest brands that I can think of, Johnny Greenwood, you know, Radiohead, like they often come from people who the people already liked the music on its own as a standalone entity, and then they were able to pull that humanity out and use it in their projects um, later. Yeah, I guess that that would be probably the the easiest example, but. Um, in terms of straight composers, you know, there are some composers that have a very clearly defined style. Um, trying to think of a of an easy example. Most of them probably haven't, heard, you know, they're they're lesser known or sort of friends of mine. So I'm trying to think of a, a sort of a known example. I mean, that's that's fine, even if they're not. Mm -hmm. They don't have to be, you know. Mm. massive yeah. uh, and so, people can so, them up right yeah um so like uh for instance um my my album my my, my company put out an album it was this is, was for universal uh production music we put it out last year and it was fantasy kind of fantasy music and um you know i'm a i'm a pretty good orchestral composer um i'm much better when the, when i allow when I'm allowed synthesizers and bigger drums and stuff like that, percussion in there. But when it's straight fantasy, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. So I wrote a few of the songs, but this was definitely one where I I wanted to bring in some outside help. And uh, a friend of mine, his name is John Theodore. He's a composer, and um, he had been doing. And he's a he's a great great guy too. Just a guy I like being around, which is you know I, I, part of what we were saying earlier. Um, but he had been doing uh, these um, like soundtracks for D and D campaigns. Uh, so they're orchestral soundtracks for Dungeons and Dragons, and they were like tavern music. When you're in a tavern, you put this thing on, and it, you you put it on on Spotify, and you just let the playlist run. And they're very popular. They get a lot of listens and a lot of streams. And this is one of these things that's like so hyper specific it's a really niche sort of genre but the moment you hear it you think 
wow, the music totally accomplishes what it's meant to do. And this composer is really good at like this composer knows what he's doing. And if I ever needed something, if I ever needed fantasy music, if I ever needed tavern music, if I ever needed something in that world, like I know exactly who I could call. And uh, and I think he gets, I think he gets calls a moderate amount, you know, uh, uh, for that kind of stuff. And I he, I know he puts out these D and D soundtracks as well, which get a lot of listens. So that's a, you know, he's a he's he's a great composer. He's not a you know household name, but um, in my opinion, really strong branding uh, uh, for for somebody who is just a straight composer. Yeah, that's a that's a really good approach because it's also there's a clear utility and a clear need. Like people go out looking for that stuff. Whereas mm -hmm. if if I just said oh, I I wrote a fantasy album, well it well it's like okay, so did many others and and you know who's going to find it etc but obviously um you know when you when you write it in in uh, for that uh for that utility and also you brand and you know market that as music for you know dnd &D, uh it uh has a lot more potential to be discovered and also understood you know what is this uh, mm -hmm. Because uh, some people have have done the the same thing with some of the music I've I've written before. I didn't specifically uh, sort of brand or market it that way, but some mm -hmm. people have picked it picked it up that way. So it's super uh, super powerful and uh, very smart to to do that uh, mm -hmm. that sort of a fashion. And also, it's good in the the going into the kind of meta. I guess the strategy of it, because uh, I guarantee that a lot of people who are developing video games, especially in that sort of fantasy genre, they're playing D and D, mm and -hmm. they're looking for music for their gaming sessions. And you know, so if they find something they like, and they're yeah. developing some stuff, you know, again, they're gonna go with what what's familiar to them. And that's right. So it's it's a really good uh, strategy. Mm -hmm. um, so you you mentioned you you had this uh, teaching job that sort of helped you sustain yourself. Mm -hmm. um, how did you how did you finally make that that transition into into full time uh, entrepreneur land? How did you make that that happen? And was 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 a lot of it based on the relationships you had built? built along the years prior to that or was there something else that allowed you to do it it was mostly relationships just it was sort of a culmination of <clears throat> projects that were ongoing and sort of projects that i knew were coming and it just felt like i was finally at a place where on a week-to-week -week basis i had more paid sort of music type work than time especially if if i had a few days that i was teaching so it it became sort of a just kind of a practical decision where you know i, I like teaching I, I still like teaching and i probably will go back to it at some point uh maybe not for the same school but maybe somewhere else but um just became like you know is is my time best used right now teaching or or if i stop 
then I could be writing more music or I could be, you know, doing more business type stuff that, that I need to be doing. Um, and, and that was just the, the decision. So this is just about maybe about two years ago um, that I made that decision to stop. And, you know, there, there are weeks, there are months when, when work seems like it's going a little slower than I, than I hope it is. And there's times when I, wonder whether i made the right decision or if i should be going back or whatever but most of the time things things are going fine and i and i don't regret it at all i think this is probably a good point point to go back to that kind of uh, uh macro existential dread and mm -hmm. and fear you mentioned earlier that it's that's really where you've mentally uh, struggled more than than in the here and now in the micro uh, mm -hmm. situations. Is that have you made? Um, are there some I don't know key mindsets or perspectives that you you know bring to the table once you once you hit the existential dread and you know how do you how do you manage that either practically speaking or or sort of um, mindset wise well one thing that i will often remind myself is that i've been like many times in my life i have been you know do either just doing regular work that's that has nothing to do with music and that's fine and that's totally respectable and you know if i ever needed to get back to that that's fine so there's nothing to be afraid of having a normal regular job that's it's great in a lot of ways um so that's one thing that i will constantly remind myself there's nothing to fear if if or when i ever find myself in that situation um but but the other thing you know while i retain the dream of working in a creative field um i just remind myself that i've been in a lot of different places i've, I've gone through a lot of periods where i haven't had that much work or not the type of work that I want to be doing. And gigs come, jobs come. Um, even though you always think, every composer thinks that whatever they're currently doing right now, it's, this is going to be the end. This is the end of the road. We all think that. Um, so recognizing that that's a pattern. You know, the, another thing that I think has helped me is I've, I've, some of these, some very big composers, A-list composers, I have been around and maybe I've had a drink with them or something like that. And maybe they've gotten a little loose and they're letting their guard down. And they tell me, you know, I think about that all the time. I think, and I'm thinking like you, you know, you just worked with this huge game. You just worked with this huge director and they're like, yeah, but every single one, I think that's it. That's this, this is the end. This is going to be the last. So when you realize that, this is a pattern this, we all have this we all do this even if you are incredibly super successful and maybe you never needed to work another day in your life you still are are dealing with this so then you just sort of grow to accept it as not something to run from but just something to sort of accept about i don't know life this is it's not there's no escaping this this dread i think everybody i think everybody has it even if they were even if they have a really stable normal office job i think people have fears and thoughts like this all the time so it's just something you i don't know deal with just 
except one trick that I often do is um, somebody said, don't ever trust any fearful thought that you think after maybe like 9 p.m. So like if I find myself racing, my brain racing, racing at nighttime, which I think probably is relatable to a lot of people, I just I just don't trust it. I think, no, like that's my fear brain. That's not real. I don't that I don't need to give that any credence. And you know, if I really, really get stressed, you know, if I really care, then I'll write it down and I'll say, okay, I'll think about this thing tomorrow. Tomorrow morning when I wake up, I'll have coffee and I'll try to think if was that is that a real fear? Is that something I actually need to tackle and worry about and start working on? Or is this just my mind racing? Um, so that's a more practical thing that I that I do practice. Yeah. Yeah, it's basically sleep over it is yeah, the, the that's lesson. Right. That's yeah. right. That's exactly that's, right. That's super important because you can't expect to be at your best, you know, cognitive uh, level after at the end of a day, because mm -hmm. you know you might be mentally exhausted, maybe physically exhausted, and you know your your body generates all kinds of uh, you know waste products that get you know jammed in all, all kinds of uh, places in your body, and you just you know it, I think that's tremendous advice, and also taking it to that that actual level, you know, beyond intuition of like, oh, should I trust myself? No, like make the the contract with yourself. Mm -hmm. I don't trust any decision making past mm -hmm. this, you know, time mm -hmm. of the day, mm -hmm. which is which is wise. It's like, you know, no matter how I feel right now, I'm not going to make a decision based on this, these feelings right now. So I'm going to sleep over it and look at it again the next day. Yeah. Do you think the the you know composers saying that this is going to be the last project? Do you think they specifically mean that in in a financial sense? Like this is the because because for me, like I don't ever think, oh, this is going to be the last creative project I work on. I definitely doubt whether there's going to be money involved because mm -hmm. you can always find some you know passionate developer here and there obviously most of them don't ever take their stuff to the finish line unless there's some proper structure and money involved but but do do you mean that's more like a like a financial fear or do you mean yeah. that it's actually just like a, cre a creative fear i think it's more a financial fear um you know there is something funny that happens to some composers when they get so wrapped up in the professionalism of the work the creativity becomes almost an afterthought for some composers not everybody and you can sort of feel when you talk to them about it you can feel whether they're still able to hold on to that creative spark and and i personally i treat it like a precious little flame like a little candle that you're walking and making sure it doesn't go out you know um but uh but there are some composers who maybe they lost it to some degree or maybe they're able to just turn it on and turn it off and depending on the project or whatever but it's not a driving force for them so yeah usually it's money that they are career trajectory that they're really talking about 
that there they could be working on something really exciting, a big project that people are going to talk about, and then believe that this will be the last big project that people will talk about out of them. So, yeah, yeah, that's usually what I, it is. I can definitely imagine if you had very very strict time constraints on you like you mm -hmm. have to output x amount of material in mm -hmm. this amount of time time is definitely a, a like a big component in creative creative work mm -hmm. uh, and uh, i don't know like i've only worked with projects that have ample time like as you know video game development is pretty slow which can be good for a composer in the sense that you have a, a quite a bit of time or you can have quite a bit of time to work on something if you come in early that is obviously <laughs> instead of like okay the game is 90 percent done you have two months or a month and a half to do this thing i don't know what the reality is with with some of the you know some of the companies out there but i can imagine that can certainly be the case and music is like an afterthought and then they expect fast delivery but yeah if they're you know creative ideas take take time to to brew and 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 develop and definitely the more professional skills you have the more you can always bring the if if not the same then at least a similar you know proficiency and efficiency into <laughs> into what you do is that um have you i mean first of all do you find that to be like a like an accurate assessment and mm -hmm. and is is there like a minimum some kind of a time window that you find you need to retain some artistic uh coherency and 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 quality yeah so time is definitely a big factor for all of this and um and time is the also the killer of of creativity at least for me i know some people who thrive under the gun at least they say they do i have a little bit of suspicion that maybe they're not doing the best most creative work while frantic as they think they are but i know some people who swear that that's when they do their best work um for me i need i need about i usually set aside about a week for a song, but I'm also cycling other songs within that. So it's not like one song per week, but if I'm if you're giving me a task right now, I'm gonna not promise <clears throat> that you'll hear a note of it until at least one week from now. And that will give me, and I'll be working on other stuff also in the background, but that will give me enough time to work and then sleep and then work and then sleep and basically sort of like what we were saying about not trusting your brain all the time but be able to test test yourself tomorrow and was that actually a good you know a melody that you wrote or was it not and some often the answer is yes but not always and sometimes you wake up and you're like what was i thinking and i'm glad i didn't have to show the developer this because that was bad and i i just i made the wrong decision but now i can fix it and i have the time i have two more days i can fix it before they have to hear it um so yeah. do you feel like there is a a, a time window because I, I always say that you are as a creative you're 
the moment you start writing, you're you're on the clock. And the um, and I say that especially in the sense that you are gonna this material is gonna become familiar to you. It's gonna become obvious to you. And once it's those things, it stops being stimulating. And you mm-hmm. can you can't well from that point onwards, it's difficult to pull um, you know drive and momentum out of it because it doesn't excite you anymore. So do you find that there's a, a certain time or have you noticed a, a time in which you have to complete it or get to whatever you know milestone or, or finish line before it becomes obvious and is it something you utilize as a as a sort of catalyst for for a moment? Yeah yeah so when the creative juices are really flowing like when 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 you're writing something and you write a, a chord pattern and then your melody comes and then you got a bass line and then you have a rhythm and and it's all just working you know i i try to har- harness that i push that as far as i can possibly take it because those moments are special and they don't always come um so when the when that happens that's when you know just just keep going until you run out of juice and um and then what i like to say is i like to trust i like to trust like the there's three there's three me's there's three you's there's the you of right now there's the you of the future let's say tomorrow and then the you of yesterday and i like to trust all three of them you know all three are right and maybe they'll see different things at different times and maybe one will be a little too far in this direction and one will be a little too far in this direction but generally they're all going to see broadly whether something is good or not so if you feel really passionate right now that this is going to be great and you wake up tomorrow and it's just not there uh then the question is is like what was it like what am i now missing was because there's usually is there's something still there maybe it was just the baseline maybe it was just the the rhythm pattern the the drums they are doing something cool you know what was it what is still the what still has the spark that that was yesterday but today still kind of moves and still works a little bit and then i start on so i started deleting stuff until i find find it i was like okay it was actually it was it's sometimes it's it was just a hi-hat pattern it's as simple as that but it's cool so okay, I'm gonna just take the hi-hat pattern. I'm gonna do totally different stuff. I'm gonna try it again. Go do a whole nother pattern where I do it. And then I'll put it away. And then tomorrow I'm gonna trust the two me's that worked on this now for two days. And same kind of process. And and by the end of it, usually you have something that you're pretty happy with because usually there will some be some stuff that just persisted the whole way through. And then some stuff that you just uh, abandoned the second time you heard it. And then, you know, and then by the end of it, you usually have something that's pretty solid. No matter how you look at it, it's still holding up. It's still, it has a solid foundation. Um, That's usually my way of writing most songs that I write. And another thing is if something's, if something really is not working, or something is even tiny bit not working, but you've noticed it multiple times in a row, like just get rid of it. Just the quickest thing you can do. It once you start to get a sense, it's almost like uh, you know, you're feeling like you're getting sick and you can kind of feel like your throat's feeling a little scratchy, right? Like 
you know what that melody i don't know about that melody i'll i'll listen to it tomorrow and it's like i still don't know about that melody okay get rid of it you're you're done like the just i, I it's been two times both me's the me's of yesterday and the me of today both think that that melody might not be working i'm i'm cutting it um and then i'll just try something else and almost always that's the correct decision um yeah yeah it, it boggles my mind sometimes when i've you know sat down with a friend and they they play something they've worked on and it's very evident to me very clear that they don't really care about this song like it's sort of mm -hmm. i think that's it's okay in that in this and that way but it's not it's not really doing anything for them like it's very clear and i i just wonder like why do you why do you bother like you 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 kind of work on this as if it's a chore like you it's your nine to five you just kind of grind your way through it but you don't care about it you could have spent the same time searching for that thing that made you you know really uh excited and and made that creative idea click and they just you know they have something and they feel like they need to hold on to it and work on it and tweak whereas so often i've found it as have many 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 uh, uh creatives found that it's just better to look for that next thing look for that thing that clicks and is undeniable and just uh works from from the get-go because you have plenty of problems to to solve later on anyway regarding this song that is working uh so don't don't make any more problems that than you already uh than you already have yeah if it's just not working and it persists that it's not working you you got to move on um but at the same time finishing i think for creative people finishing projects can sometimes be hard because that is the moment you know one of the things i think about with creative creativity is you're exploring possibilities so you know i could be using this synthesizer i could be using this drum kit and this reverb and i'm you know i'm playing you know it's a sandbox right so but then by the end of the project you are you're stopping you're cutting out possibilities you're removing you're putting periods at the end of the sentences there's no more explore exploration that's going to happen anymore and that can be kind of a painful experience. So, but it's sometimes you have to just do it. You have to just accept that, like I'm done. I'm moving on. I need to wrap wrap this thing up. And again, I'm trusting the me. I'm trusting the me of one week ago that was really excited about this song, and that me really loved that melody. And even though right now I'm feeling a little bit like I don't know, I don't get it. It's not bad but is it good enough you know that's the question is it good enough i'm going to just move on uh and i'm going to trust that me and i'm going to just make it mix it make it sound good and and move on um so it's not a, a chore as much as it's about just kind of and i and maybe this is fear versus versus not fear you know maybe the the composer that you're talking about is fearful to to trust themselves and is fearful to, and is trying to make decisions based on what they think other people want to hear or what they think a good composer sounds like or whatever that might be so they're not really tapping into that core part of their of their soul whereas what i'm talking about is 
I do actually trust me and I trust me of last week and the me of last week thought that this melody was really kick-ass so right now I'm gonna just do all the mixing I need to honor that melody and honor the me of last week that really believed in it because I wouldn't have done that if 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 there wasn't something there um, yeah you know I think that's a huge huge element um, uh, I, I was talking with uh, this artist called Danimal Cannon uh, a couple of weeks back, and that's he talked about um, this this kind of surety that he's always had, like trusting that he, uh, you know, he can trust that that he knows what he's feeling about the music that he's working on, and that keeping that sort of thread throughout his career that's really important and and i think you you hit the nail on the head in terms of some of the some of these uh, musicians that i'm thinking about who who i've you know witnessed that that happened with them it, it is a very much a trust uh issue you know they create something maybe they're a bit excited about it but then they start asking all the questions and you, I, I watched the the video you did on on creativity, and I I, th I very very largely agree with uh, pretty much all the all the points. and And it's important that you have this um, first of all the awareness of these different phases of of creativity, and 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 like you said, it, it's a, it's it should be a very important skill to learn how to complete things. Um, but but. Yeah, and you know when I was saying that that they sort of uh, these these um, musicians that are, that I I've been talking with and I'm thinking about in this case they sort of get lost in the process. There's no structure in the process, and and uh, yeah, but especially like when we're thinking about the the inspiration phase, uh, it's like don't don't get sort of you can't sort of be half ish inspired of something and then take it to the next phase and start working and tweaking on it you should really find something that you know ignites you properly and is you know this is there's something here worth exploring and pursuing and then taking it further uh, but yeah like it's people get mixed in these these different phases but i think what you said said about the time aspect and becoming aware of that and not only becoming aware of that but behaving as if they are real the past is real and the pa mm -hmm. uh, the future you is real that's mm -hmm. super important because creatives tend to be pretty much just in the here and now and that's mm -hmm. why creatives tend to make impulsive decisions and that's why they do you know all-nighters in their bedroom working on a track and the lack of that time awareness is really hurting them because that's why you that's how you get into situations where it's you know 4 a.m in the morning and you've worked on this track that is actually pretty good but you've worked on it for 50 15 hours in a row and you've lost all perspective on it and you press delete and you actually had something you know if you just went to bed and came back to it tomorrow or next week you could have had something something solid but you weren't aware of the time aspect of it and then you just you know trashed everything you had so i think that's a that's a huge huge lesson 
Yeah, one of the things that I'm often asking myself, especially towards the end of the project, so we're almost, we're re almost mixing, we almost have made most of our big decisions, our big swings. Um, one of the things I'm often asking myself is, what is this song really about? Like, if there were a hook, you know, if, if there were, if there was just a simple, like, most exciting element, what is it? Is it the melody? Is it the rhythm? Is it the chords? Is it, you know, some weird little synthy sound that pops in every now and then, but that's something that's like really has a spark of energy to it, whatever it is. Like I often ask me, what is this song really about? And whatever the thing that is really the special thing, the, 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 the gem of the song, I want to try to elevate that. I want to try to bring everything that supports that and pushes it more close to the, to the listener. And uh, and everything else that's kind of getting in the way of that, you know, this hi hat pattern kind of runs contrary to this melody. They're running at different rhythms, and you know, maybe if they're on the same level, you don't notice that. But if you decide that this is really important, then you realize that this thing's getting in the way. Okay, so we're getting rid of the hi hat pattern. And I find that when I'm when I'm working at four a.m. and I've been working for fifteen hours, this is when I'm really bad at recognizing this question what is the song really about what's the what's the what's the gem of the song versus everything else missing the forest for the trees you know um so yeah, that's that, when yeah yeah i mean that's a super important skill that all the pros have learned and that they mm -hmm. utilize and that's that's also relating to the ego because you can have a song and you can have a lot of great creative ideas in that song like mm -hmm. oh the hi-hat is so creative and has mm -hmm. this interesting polyrhythm with a delay on top of it and super mm -hmm. cool and then i have this riff that's going in here and it's, it's so awesome but you have too much stuff in a context mm -hmm. of a single track there's mm -hmm. only so much you can put in there and nourish it and put it to the spotlight and give it a bit of you know context and that's the difficulty a lot of creatives have like it's like i can't live without all of these genius creative ideas in there whereas mm -hmm. you, you need to learn some humility and, and 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 patience and get perspective and ask you know what is the what is this track trying to do and what is in the surface uh service of that and you're probably going to find that only a few things facilitate that that service and right. and you have to you know kill off many of those fantastic creative ideas and you know i've 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 worked with so many uh, brilliant musicians who who have so many great creative ideas but they want to cram everything in there whereas <laughs> you know whereas they really should be like more hands off and you know patient and and humble and and go more minimal uh, but that's that's a really tough thing to do and i don't think you can i don't think it's even possible to do that until you deal with the ego component of me putting all of these creative intellectual creative ideas in there that's right yeah yeah this the song is not you you are not the song the song is the song and you need to honor it and try to let it breathe as best as you possibly can you you can 
guide it. You're there to write the song. You're there to guide it and bring it to the best place that you can possibly make it. But it is an entity that other people are going to experience and they're going to experience it their own way. You need to help them hear what you're hearing uh, as best you can. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And it's, uh, I'm trying to look up one of the things you said in your creativity video, mm -hmm. um, which you kind of touched on there. You said something like, um, you know, be hard on your work, but don't be mm -hmm. hard on yourself. Yeah, and I think that's, that, that's, that's brilliant because again, a, a big problem is that people can't separate their creations for, from themselves. They, mm -hmm. they, they think their ideas and their creations are attached to them. And, you know, if, if, if those ideas are bad <laughs> or creations are bad, then they themselves are bad as well. And mm -hmm. it's, again, this is a mark of a, of a professional. They can treat work as work. You know, not everything is personal. Uh, in mm -hmm. fact, most things are not personal. And it's that mm -hmm. ability to get, you know, impersonal that, allows you to focus on the work and look for the answers that are best for the work and not for the answers that, you know, make you look, uh, the best. So I, I think that, yeah. that was super, super solid. What do you touched on there? Mm -hmm. And another thing about creativity, at least for me, in my one analogy that I sometimes use is as it, it, it's like, um, you're making something out of plaster you like kind of put layer 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 over top of it and then you start sanding away so it's like you're building up and then you're sanding away it's like you're building up and then you're sanding away and you're never going to get that perfect minimal like you said final outcome if you didn't try a whole bunch of stuff first and then find just the right things that all worked and then got rid of all the other crap so it's this constant process of of up and down and up and down built adding subtracting adding subtracting and by the end the final product might not look very close to the beginning but it will have gone through that journey where you're constantly sort of following this the spark uh, of of what makes the the song special um yeah yeah i think that's a very solid uh analogy and again, it, it takes so much, you know, humility and perspective and patience to to be able to do that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, letting letting some of those creative ideas go and and uh, yeah, give it some time. Especially um, if you spent you know four hours on a synth sound and you really believe it's a cool sound and you love the little rhythm and you're just really proud of the work you did, but it's not working in the song you gotta get rid of it yep yep mm -hmm. and again you 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 do that by treating the work as work and the work mm -hmm. isn't you and the work isn't you know your self-worth um yeah but i i i, I want to get um touch on your your uh your synth your uh infinite flow because mm -hmm. We only probably have a about a half an hour to <laughs> to go okay. here. Yeah. So, um, um, yeah. I mean, first of all, that's how I, you know, discovered you and and your company, mm -hmm. and uh, did a demo on 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 Infinite Flow. And uh, well, people can can go and watch it. But 
sh long story short is that it's uh, fantastic, like in and out. Um, what, like, first of all, when, when did the idea uh, of this synth come to you? And, and when did you actually start? Well, I mean, let's start with when, when did this idea sort of <laughs> come to you? So, um, I learned that, uh, so there's a, there's a synth store in Los Angeles that's kind of known. And apparently during the first year of the pandemic was their best year ever. Cause apparently everybody was just at home, couldn't go anywhere. And they just became obsessed with synthesizers. Um, you know, and they probably already was, and I'm no exception. So I, I purchased a lot. I made this Euro rack that year and, and so on. And kind of what I was fascinated with, and I'm still fascinated with is the idea of polyphony and specifically tuning. You know, when we, when we listen to violins, you know, why, why does one violin sound different than 20 violins playing together, which sounds different than 40 violins playing together. And they all can be playing the same note. And if you were to, um, to, if you were to tune every single violin, you would note, you would see that this is the perfect pitch, but all of them are some, you know, like a standard, you know, you know, a bell curve kind of a thing away from the perfect pitch. But we like that as humans, we don't want it to be auto-tuned right we we want it to be a little bit of human sort of variance there so i got kind of obsessed with this idea of pitch being something that is imperfect and and that being actually more musical than less musical and 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 the idea that synthesizers are designed to be sort of mathematically precise but where are the places within pitch that things are drifting a little bit and where are the places that as human beings we enjoy we enjoy that fa factor so from there then i started to pay attention to as i asked myself what oscillators and i started to pay attention to polysynths from the late 70s and early 80s and this is a known thing about polysynths that there's drift to the voices there's drift within the oscillators but there's also drift within the voices and there's just this kind of spread that happens and um so then i was like okay well can i i can i just use the synths that i'm already doing to simulate that so can i use serum to just do that and you kind of can, but not really. You, you're not really doing it in Serum. Like you, you can fake it with some chaos stuff, and there's some techniques that I could talk about. But it's not never going to actually give you that warm, you know, Jupiter or Oberheim tone that like all these like John Carpenter, all these synth scores that I'm obsessed with were made using that. And in my opinion, that tone is just really hard to capture. And you talk to some people and they'll tell you, oh, it's the analog circuitry, you know, or, oh, it's the, the they recorded to tape. And, you know, all of these things I think are true. They're aspects that gave that sound some specificity. But what more people were overlooking than I felt was sh they should have been was this tuning, this tuning aspect of, of the synth. 
So that's kind of, that was the impetus, probably started 2020, where I just became really obsessed with how synths were not in tune, were out of tune, and how to capture that in a really musical way. Um, so then... Yeah, I think, I think yeah. some, of the, some of the manufacturers um, uh, today include features like that. Like, I think the, the Prophet, is it Rev, Rev2? Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that one has like a general drift control. I don't know what it does under the hood. Like, does it, you know, there, I'm sure there are many ways to, you know, set up that architecture, etc. But yeah, I mean, like, uh, like you said, I feel like those like tape and certain circuit uh, component qualities are sort of further down the chain, but they're not as fundamental as the actual mm -hmm. pitch shifting. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. That's right. Yeah, so the Prophet Rev 2 actually does almost identical to what Infinite Flow does, our synth. It, it, somewhere buried deep in their logic is a little database, and they just ask, every time you hit the note, they just say, what voice are you in, and how much should we detune this? And they're doing, they're detuning analog, real analog, you know, circuitry, but they're, they're using a digital lookup table, and they're detuning it in that kind of a way. Um, so, and there's a few software synths that have a little bit of this sort of sprinkled in, but there really wasn't one with a modern workflow and there wasn't one that was able to do what we're doing to like the nth degree, to really model it out, to have different synths that you can detune them in the same way, to be able to build your own in, in your own kind of way. So that was, that was where we, you know, that's what we did it. To, to try to do yeah it was really because i wanted i wanted to play to play it um and then i just kind of snowballed from there well that's that's often the case that there's something you want something you need and then you try and look for it and it doesn't exist mm -hmm. and then you go and create it yeah. um is i i want to touch on this uh in case we don't get to it otherwise the the interface of of infinite flow is just about like one of the best uh not only looking but you know the usability of it it's one of the best looking interfaces i've seen on anything uh period and it's it's super nice to use it's just so well like so comprehensively designed and, and done is that first of all who 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 made you know i'm sure you had a, a vision for that but like mm -hmm. who made that a reality and also like What's your your background with uh, design? Like, do you have? Is it just like a, an, an innate uh, interest and ability, or did you dive deeper into that? So, uh, so a, a good friend of mine, um, his name is Alan. He's credited in the uh, uh, credits. He started the design, and we went through a few rounds of iteration. We had a completely different look for a while. And I wasn't ultimately happy with it. Actually, I showed it to Jeff Rona, the composer who you know I used to work for, and he basically told me correctly, he's like, I don't know about this interface. And so then I went back to my friend Alan, and he basically he knew that I was unhappy with it. He he was a little he's busy guy, so he didn't have that much time, and he was helping me out. It was a favor. Um, 
so he but he asked he knew that but he, he knew that i couldn't really articulate what i wanted as best so then what he tried to do is he tried to ask me okay if this were a movie or a video game like what would you want it to look like what 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 movie or video game would you say this has the right aesthetic and so then i started to list off a bunch of movies from like the early 80s um that all sort of fit the vibe of the sound of the synth that we were making we were already making it and um one of the one one that we chose was war games i don't know if you're familiar with that movie um yeah it's about it's about ai i mean it's a very timely movie now but it's about ai taking over and basically starting world war three um and then that they have to choose they have to teach the ai that war is bad essentially um but it's 83 or 84 it's got a lot of these classic dos screens and lcds and lots of blinking colors and stuff like that that we were really inspired by so then alan um, made a, a design uh which is lay from a layout perspective is pretty close to what the final product is but a lot of the aspects like we're not there in in his design and you know, I, I love Alon, but he got really busy. He got really oh, too busy with work. So that left me, at, and I do not have a design background, and I don't even have a particularly deep in, interest in design. But that left me kind of feeling a little bit on my on my own, having to answer a lot of really big questions about the design. And I had a good foundation. Alon gave me a good foundation. I, I, I don't want to take anything away from the hard work that he did. But in terms of the colors, in terms of the the like uh, the the LFO, the way the LFOs look, in terms of the drag and drop, and the, all of those decisions, and the uh, actually Alon did the little DOS screen, so that was a that was a good thing that he did. Um, but uh, uh, the, a lot of this was just me kind of figuring it out, kind of trial by error asking myself again bringing these big questions into much smaller questions ask okay what would the lfo if i wanted to, to make it look like it was coming from an old computer what would the lfo look like and if i want to limit it to only three colors what would those three colors be and if i want a font that you know it's just you know a lot of a lot of kind of back and forth um and then we arrived you know at, at this and the the other thing about the design which i did not fully appreciate going into it is that the programming language that we're using doesn't just accept files like you would expect i mean we could have maybe done that a little bit but for the most part almost every decision is just is actually a line of actual code saying draw a circle with this width with this color with this opacity at this location and you have to write a whole an actual line of code that says draw a circle that does that you have to write a line of code and every single single thing is a, as true code which was a lot to do and that also influenced the design because we had to keep that look intact while also dealing with the coding um difficulties that went into that so yeah, I did about I would I would say maybe I did about sixty or seventy percent of the design myself. Um, yeah, 
No, it's, yeah. to me, it's it's pure eye candy. I could just look at that and feel satisfied. And I think I, um, I appreciate I, that. I I love that in tools because, like, I I really um, I would like a part of me would love to be a person who can just you know work on anything like this most crappy looking instruments and libraries uh, you know on a laptop and didn't care about all these details i think that's that's a, a good thing like uh um because it's you know you, you just focus on the the most important thing which is the music which should mm-hmm. should be the most important thing but to me like i'm hyper specific about where i work and what is the atmosphere like mm-hmm. etc and and i'm very and also to me like it's a feedback loop with the mm-hmm instrument that i'm working with not only the sound but the way it looks and can i interface with it very fast and easy and quick and do i feel inspired like do i feel like i can use this this tool and tweak it and and there's a there's a creative feedback loop it's not only like a practical thing so yeah i think absolutely everything with with uh infinite flow is it feels like it's really like fine-tuned to that and that's that's what i touched on in the demo it's like you you feel i feel uh, as if i'm just one with the instrument and it's it's a it's a huge pleasure using it so and as i said in the demo i i I strongly recommend people uh using it and like like i said in, in terms of the sounds uh just uh fantastic sound design and and out of the box like super super uh great stuff uh, especially if you're into like you know cinematic atmospheric mm-hmm. darker uh things mm-hmm. so it's it's a, a excellent job with that and you know makes me makes me want to see what you <laughs> i don't know if you have future plans for creating more instruments or whether you were traumatized by by this <laughs> first experience but there's a little bit of that um, you know, I, we're we're in a bit of a of a, maybe licking our wounds to some degree, but rebuilding to some degree, and asking ourselves some some big questions about what the future what the future of the company is going to look like. Um, so I don't have a great answer. I will say that we are planning on releasing the filter of the Infinite Flow as a standalone plugin pretty soon, uh, maybe in in a couple months um and we're hoping we're going to release it for free for a certain amount of time so we're hoping that we're going to drive a lot of people to the website through that and then they'll be able to you know get there and our we we think our filters sound pretty good and they sound good on other sounds as well so um so i think hopefully people will enjoy that in terms of bigger like future synths and future projects we do have I, there's a lot of stuff i want to be working on there's a lot of ideas that i have that i wish we had more time and more resources to accomplish but um yeah i i don't i don't as 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 difficult as the process has been just getting it out and getting bugs fixed and getting it and promotion is a whole thing that I'm still trying to learn my right now, which, you know, anyway, I have a lot more work to do from promoting it, but, um, uh, I still, I, I don't suspect that this is the, the first and last from, from the company when it comes to this type of product. Yeah. 
well, marketing and promotion wise, you, you still have the most important thing, right? Which is the product. Uh, and you. you know, it's pretty, pretty, um, you know, I think, uh, like as it was with me and, and some of the other people that I actually, you know, saw it from originally mm -hmm. it, it very quickly, you know, resonates with, with, I think the target audience and, mm -hmm. uh, so yeah but uh, i mean i think as as long as you follow the the recipe you've been using so far you'll probably make some awesome stuff and i, I think creating the stuff you want to you know have and see and use but don't see anywhere else mm -hmm. that's a really good recipe to to follow because it yeah if you if you're looking for it chances are uh some other people are doing that as well yeah hope so that's the idea for sure yeah yeah um, I, I i i just remembered one more thing about the design that i i don't think i mentioned so again jeff rona the the composer he told me and he again he was the guy who was on midi's original development so he's been around since for a long long time he told me um every interface tells a story that's what he said and then he was like, you need to figure out what story you want to tell. And and what he was saying, what when he said that he was looking at our first design, which didn't it just didn't tell a story and wasn't very good. And that definitely made me think for a long time about what what did he mean by that? What what does that mean? Every design, every interface tells a story. And how do I tell the story that I want to be telling? With the interface so that was very important driving force of the whole final design for sure yeah and for me it's um definitely well i'm probably beating a dead horse at this point but uh it it's one of those rare and i i can't even think of many times that this has happened with any product period but but with infinite flow it's it, you just feel like I, I want to get in. I want to get in there, and I, I want to touch things and tweak things. And most importantly, I, I want to create something because it, it feels so like it doesn't feel like I need to reach for something and tweak. It just feels like it's there, and that mm. that that is super impressive. Because, like I said, I, I can't even think of many times that that has even happened with with a tool. Um, but maybe uh, if we go into the last three points that I want to touch on, I have this uh, retainment theory, which is basically this idea that creative people manage to keep the spark alive going from their childhood into their adulthood. That mm. that life doesn't, um, you know, like you said, you have this tiny candle with the flame and you're mm. trying to not get that extinguished. Mm -hmm. What do you think was the core thing in preventing that from happening? What allowed you to retain the, the creativity throughout your life into today? It's a good question. I don't know. I don't have a great answer. I think... I think I fought really hard. I think I was lucky in a lot of ways. You know, I definitely think I'm lucky in a lot of ways that I was able to 
live a life where even though it was hard and I was fighting every step of the way, I was still able to stay on, stay ahead, stay ahead of, of the flame going out. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, to some degree, maybe I, I like to think it never completely goes out. The but I think that with life and work and obligations and you know pressures of society, a lot of people can get diverted for sure. Um, and I have made it a goal of mine for a long time to just hold on as much as I possibly can, hold on to that and just just treat it like a precious you know precious little little thing that needs to be cherished so i i don't really know what exactly i think part luck and part just me just just white knuckling it holding on every step of the way you know so it, in part it sounds like prioritization which yeah actually makes me think think of it uh very differently to what I've done so far, but it's uh, a lot of things in life come down to priority because mm -hmm. we have limited time and limited resources and, mm -hmm. and you make choices, you know, what is it that you're going to do? And what is it that you're not going to do? And, you know, who knows, maybe that, maybe it does come down to keeping it in the top, I don't know, three priorities, maybe five, I don't know, but does that sound like a reasonable assessment? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would say probably two. I mean, I would put probably family and then creativity as as really my main two priorities in my whole life. Um, yeah, everything else, you know, I, I mean, I can remember lots of moments when I was younger when friends of mine would be going out to a bar or going on a vacation or trip or something like that. And either, probably I couldn't afford it, but not only could I not afford it, I just literally did not want to spend the time. Like if I spend, you know, a weekend, uh, you know, on a on a vacation at a, at a house with you, like, is that going to be a weekend that now I'm not going to be working on music and not going to be getting better and not going to be feeding this creative spark? And then if I miss one weekend, then the next weekend, will the creative spark be 20% weaker or whatever, you know, and then the next week and so on. So every step of the way, I, I mean, I, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a, a monk, you know, I, I would still see people and I would still go places to some degree, but I would be really aware of trying to retain that time as, as much as possible. Um, yeah. And that's uh, again a big problem that a lot of creators creatives struggle with. Like things don't become actual enough; they don't become tangible enough. And you know, if you choose to go to this place, well, instead of that, that that you know shuts out a lot of other options. And and mm -hmm. if you look at your growth and progress uh, progression and advancement as you know, I built this ladder, and then I built this ladder. Mm -hmm. every time you don't do that you you don't do that so every time you choose to 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 do something else again you're prioritizing and and you know if you do if you do make those choices that don't serve the creative growth enough during a year that's mm -hmm. going to amount to a massive difference 
And I think that that actually frightens a lot of people because mm -hmm. it makes you accountable. It makes you, um, you know, it means that there's an actual tangible thing that you could do to make mm -hmm. your dreams real, but it means sacrifice. And there are, there are a lot of things that people don't feel should be within the pool of things that have to be sacrificed, but mm -hmm. everything, everything can be sacrificed. <laughs> so, uh, it's, uh, it, it, it sounds like you, you had a very solid grasp on that reality from the, you know, I don't know from the get go, but at least throughout this, this journey, you've managed to remain very practical and, and keep that reality close to you instead of yeah. telling telling yourself that you can do x and y and z while doing this you know creative pursuit right yeah i think that's i think that is true yeah i i at the end of the day it really does go in it it's time and it's work and i don't take that lightly and i don't i don't it's this is not a uh you know one of those school assignments where you can just quickly read the you know spend 10 minutes right before the test and then and then turn it in you know like it's not that you need to get good you need to be good you need to know what you're doing and the only there's only one way to do that and that's just put in the time um you're not born nobody's born with it i don't believe um so yeah so i just decided to as much as possible put in the, and without driving myself crazy without losing my sense of of, of reality yeah yeah put in the that's a whole whole podcast of its own <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah losing your mind although some <laughs> would argue that we've already done that but right <laughs> um second to last point um what is your definition of an artist Hmm. I think an artist is somebody who is driven to express themselves or no, express an idea or themselves that doesn't make sense. There's an impracticality to all art that I think is essential. Um, so yeah, so anybody who, who in any medium makes an expression that on some level just doesn't even make sense i think that's that's art that loops yeah. back to the to the madness because yeah. depending on and the, again i think this goes to perspective like if if we create art if we're at the very fringes of what people understand because I, I think artists go beyond the border of known reality mm -hmm. and they mm -hmm. go in there and they make sense of what they see and then they bring it back into the mm -hmm. realm of what's understood and then mm -hmm. people go like oh okay that's that's actually that makes sense and now that's incorporated into our understanding of what is so mm -hmm. that's kind of looking from what is into the chaos it can look like something that doesn't make any sense mm -hmm. so yeah, I actually, I actually love your your definition and exploration of that idea because, yeah, 
I find it to be very, very, very true. So cool. Um, last question. If you could instantaneously send a message to everyone's uh, smartphone in the world, so basically a message or an image or something shows up on everyone's uh, front screen. So they have to look at it before they can unlock their phone. Uh, what would you send other than advertising your own services? No, I, I wouldn't do that. Um, with that power, I, I, need to, I, need to, I need to add that asterisk. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Everybody's you know, like, it, well, it, I'll put my it, website on there. Yeah. I. It would probably be something kind of corny, like be kind to yourself. It would probably be something like that. I don't know. It, it's, I think, I think we're all hard on ourselves. I think we all expect a lot and we all push ourselves and want to do better and want to think that, you know, it like, let's say, let's say you're a runner and yesterday you ran 10 miles you know, and you in a certain amount of time and you think you can do that every single day. Like that's, but that's not, that's just not the, how it, it works. You know, some days you can, but not every day you're going to be your absolute maximum. So it would be something about just, just let, being kind to yourself, letting yourself be human, letting yourself off the hook to some degree. Um, so I probably would think a little bit more about a, a nice way of saying that. Um, but yeah, that's probably what I would say to people. Yeah. That actually seems to be a, a reoccurring theme on on the podcast in terms of the mm -hmm. answers. I think it's, mm -hmm. it's super solid because it kind of relates to the, um, like so many creatives are perfectionists and mm -hmm. they find it unacceptable to be, to deliver anything you know subpar and it's mm -hmm. in that pursuit of trying to make per perfection which is obviously an elusive ever escaping thing that we are chasing it's like they they do nothing but you know beat themselves over and over again over never you know we never achieve that and that's a pretty imagine having a, a job where you can never do it perfectly mm -hmm. like you, you can yeah. never do it right in that sense right so and i know many of the musicians that have quit or are are very close to it or are continuously thinking about it mm -hmm. i think it, it will go a long way if they simply you know were kinder them, to themselves and understood the, the the difficulty of what we face as a as a profession or as a you know as a as a job absolutely yeah totally i cool. feel like i didn't get any uh chances to ask you questions maybe one, one of these days well, uh, i guess that's yeah. kind of the <laughs> that's I kind mean, of the point but yeah. one of these days yeah i want to i want to pick your brain uh, a lot more so sure yeah. i mean any any time and that i'd be i'd be happy to sure. to do that so cool this, but this is really yeah this is really fun i really enjoyed this yes likewise i really really enjoyed um this this time and there are like a hundred thousand questions that we didn't get to as as mm -hmm. tends to be the case mm -hmm. but uh hopefully we can uh do this uh again sometime in the future and uh 
Uh, it's also a pleasure to to get to know you a bit. I mean, we've exchanged some emails, but but it's uh, very different to sit down and you know talk about real stuff yeah. for a few I hours. Agree. I agree. Well, th and th thank you so much for inviting me on, and and thank you for such amazing questions. I really really appreciate it. I really enjoyed it. Cool. Well, it's it's been my pleasure, and uh, happy to hear uh, the positive feedback. Yeah. So. For sure. Okay. Well, I'll well I'll definitely be in touch, and I'll talk to you soon. Cool. Likewise. Okay. Yeah. Let's do it. Bye. See ya.